one man's ass in my life. Since you got that belt, I want it. You can't catch me. I'm gonna get it. Or you lose your opportunity. Oh, the hell with that! He touched him. I saw. He it. ran over him and he's out. I'm going to rip up your future destination. Sydney's business now. He threw that. Oh my God! And he got kicked in the face. Jack Knight, power bomb, Goldberg. Promises do not come true in this business. I will not stab the stinger in the back. The stinger is back in black. I can't believe Sting used the baseball bat on Hogan. We've all been screwed in this business. Who can you trust? Hulk Hogan is going to get the last laugh. They're going to destroy the legs of Hogan. Yes, I'm going to kick his ass. It's showtime, folks. <laughs> Nevada World Championship Wrestling presents the big one. It's time for Slim Jim's Halloween Havoc. Where tonight, here at the MGM Grand, a capacity crowd awaits. Answers to many questions over the past months, over the past weeks, concerning tonight's five title matches. All major titles in World Championship Wrestling being on the line. And we can't wait to bring you tonight's telecast. Hello again and welcome to another episode of the Retro Wrestling Podcast. I'm intern Alex, joined as always by... The one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. And Patrick, we were off last week and I had the privilege, I guess you could say, of reviewing... The World Bodybuilding Federation Championships from 1992, and I published that as a Retro Wrestling Podcast Extra. And Patrick, you didn't miss anything because it was terrible. Um, I knew you wouldn't be interested in it anyway because you told me you didn't like the movie 300 because there were too many shirtless dudes. Yes. I think you definitely wouldn't have enjoyed competitive bodybuilding because they wear even skimpier outfits than professional wrestlers. And all they do is pose. And it's Vince McMahon just losing his mind for two hours straight. Two hours of this thing, Patrick, I sat through of Vince just losing his mind over these bodybuilders. And it's on YouTube if you want to check out the actual show, our listeners. Or you can just listen to the review. Listen to the review. Save yourself two hours. I kind of I do just want to hear a clip of Vince freaking out because it would be quite hilarious. What have you been up to since we last spoke? Uh, Well... I was at AEW Atlanta, um, posted a couple of pictures. I have a lot more to put up. I just haven't gotten to it. I'm still riding high off of that uh, that show. Cody, after they went off the air, Cody said he believes that was the best show they've done thus far uh, of Dynamite. And then he also proceeded to tell the audience, TNT has picked them up for an additional three more years. So that equals out to, what, five now? They're pulling numbers now that they're already getting an extension of their extension? No, I think he was probably just referring to the original extension, I think. How was the crowd size at the State Farm Arena, formerly the Phillips Arena? How was the attendance? Because I thought it was pretty ambitious for them to run an arena that big. Massive. Massive. So even what about the second, the the upper tiers? Upper tiers were pretty full. I mean, you saw the spots here and there, but the lower tiers, I mean, you can tell from the TV there wasn't 
there wasn't hardly any seats missing. Well, they shoot the show very well, so even if there are empty sections, I mean, they shoot around it very they, well. He he said for an episode of Dynamite, it was the most packed house. Well, he had promoted this one very heavily because of the significance of Atlanta to the NWA and his heritage and his father's legacy and everything else. And Turner, I mean, Turner is based in Atlanta, so TNT, I mean, this is a very important show for them, so it was very important that it did well. And I think from a match quality perspective, it was one of the best shows they've done thus far. I only watched it in passing, though. I had it on the TV, but I didn't actually. I wasn't sitting next to you. Thanks for the invite, buddy. Sorry, man. Sorry. He did say they this was not the last. They will be back. So I'll hit you up next time. Okay. Well, but your thoughts on the show overall? Which uh, which matches stood out to you? Which promos? What did you like? What didn't you like? I loved the Battle Royal at the start. I think that was a good kickoff. The women's match held its own. My match of the night is a tie between the cage match because of what it was. But the tag match with the Elite was without a doubt match of the night in my book. That was the best build because there was so much bam, bam, bam that even in the audience standpoint, you can kind of see it live shows, you know, where you're seeing they're setting up for a spot. Dude, they didn't, it was wide open. There wasn't a, we're setting up for it. It was just so boom, boom, boom. And then the false finishes, I bought into it and I legit flipped my shit when I, you know, into this match. And everybody did. It was probably the loudest pop of the night other than Cody. And so, yeah, absolutely. It was a great, great show. I loved having Arn Anderson out there. We got Tully afterwards. We had some dark matches beforehand. We had three dark matches after. Yeah, you were part of history. They did their first ever cage match. That's kind of cool. Yeah, I took a picture, posted on our Facebook. A little nostalgia for me because, you know, that's the that's the historic grounds of the Omni. You know, that's the last battle of, you know, Georgia. The last, you know. The last battle of Atlanta. Yeah. Or the last battle of Atlanta, I mean. And, and just so many other cage matches that go on from there with Dusty and with, you know, with it being war games and so many others that I felt, you know, I it was it was a emotional historical build inside for me, I guess is the best way I could put it. And and I I think I typed it out well when I put it, you know, that out of thousands of cage matches on this historic grounds, this quite possibly is the the best one yet or going to be. And I think it delivered tenfold. Regardless of what you may actually think about what happened during the match, that moonsault at the end of the match is going to be in their highlight reel videos for years and years. For, this is yeah, this is their Elix Skipper cage walk. This yeah. is because Cody went up there and took zero time to zero time. Didn't look. Didn't nothing. He climbed up. That's what barely killed, caught Wardlow. That's by the what. Way. That's what killed me is because I'm sitting and I was like, oh yeah, this is gonna be awesome. This is gonna be awesome. He climbs up there and I'm like, all right, he's gonna. I'm waiting for him to glance, just do a quick glance to measure it, and he didn't glance. He just climbed or and strike a jumped. pose. No, he just went up. There. He climbed and jumped, and I went. He just went off of the cage backwards. And did not look whatsoever. That was insane. He caught him just enough. To, he, yeah. Uh, but yeah, he no looked that moonsault. And I completely flipped out because 
he landed it. It well, went slightly off. I would have thought, okay, no look. He overshot this thing. He didn't go out far enough. Not, no, man. He measured this thing and just climbed and went. Well, Wardlow did a good job of trying to catch him. Yes. Try to. And the first in-ring appearance of Wardlow, by the way. Yeah. Strange, though, that they would give him the loss in his first match. That's just... But he... Dude, he owned Dusty, though. Or he owned Cody, though through that match. And oh, yeah. I mean, Cody was the one with all the damage oh, at the end of the match. Dude, that... It was practically almost just like Dusty. I mean, just the blood and everything. He... It was remarkable. AEW is, in fact, getting an action figure toy line. Wow. So, and your first ones will be Cody, Brandy, the Young Bucks, Jericho, and Kenny Omega. They're not going to include Moxley in the first round. No. Well, pretty predictable picks for the the first line because those are Jericho with the title and Cody with a sledgehammer. and They need to be like the old school LJN ones, the rubber ones that couldn't move. They need to do that. If they really want to, you know, that would, be, that would actually be kind of cool. Retroness of this whole thing. Um, but I'm sure they'll be much more technically advanced. No, these are, yeah, they are much more technically advanced. A lot more than the elites, the WWE elite that we have gotten a few of, or the, what are they? Defining moments. Defining moment things, yeah. Mattel's done a decent job, but sometimes they still look hideous sometimes, yeah. depending on the person. They're cool, man. They're really cool. And so now they just need a video game. All right, Patrick, what do you have for us from the news desk as we enter the last week of February 2020? It's making news everywhere. It was actually on TMZ. The Rock got in the ring and owned uh, some kids down there in the Performance Center and... Why, you ask? Because he's in the process of training his daughter down there at the Performance Center. Him and a few others are hands-on with training the fourth generation, The Rock's daughter. So, Yeah, Simone Johnson is now at the Performance Center. So I would bet on next year's WrestleMania seeing Rock in a mixed tag with his daughter uh, against somebody else and yeah, some other absolutely. female wrestler. And maybe that's when he goes in the Hall of Fame. Maybe that's the reason to bring him she put, in. She puts him in or something, maybe. We'll see how it goes. I mean, she's still very... I mean, she's 18 years old. Dude, she is green. And she... she <laughs> I saw a little quick interview with her, and she is. She'll admit, I'm very green. I'm learning every day. She's still a kid. Yeah, but, I mean, it's huge. And, and I know Road Dog for a fact, is, is being hands-on with training her as well, so... That's really that's really good because he's a great. I mean, he's coming from one of the great wrestling families of all time as well in the Armstrongs. Patrick, if you were just a member of the Anawahi wrestling family, you'd have a job in WWE oh, because it seems it's, like everybody. It's, yes, it's every given. Do you have some sort of go to like you know ancestry dot com and see if you somehow have a connection to just Dwayne one. Johnson? Just I need I need one, and you're in one. It just one. Tiny piece of DNA. It doesn't have. It doesn't have to be the full DNA thing. Just give me a drop, and I can be like, "All right, hey, here I am. Here's the results." And you're hired. I'm welcome aboard. I'm one 
I'm point one millionth Samoan. And there <laughs> yeah. you go. There you go. You're in. In their last earnings report, their talent roster is now up to like 300. Jeez. It used to be 215 was the last number that I remember, but now it's up to around 300 people. You know why, roster. right? Because they're afraid to let these people go because now there's actual competition out there. Well, yeah, they cited that in the earnings report that that's why earnings were down. That's why the stock price plummeted. They even mentioned competition. So this is the first time they've acknowledged it in one of these earnings reports that, yes, we acknowledge our competition has impacted our business. And, yeah, it's just to scoop up talent and put them on the bench. We've talked about it a million times. Yeah. NWA wrestler uh, Thunder Rosa, she was unfortunately part of a hit and run. Uh, Her car was severely damaged. And NWA, the guys aren't making what you know they're not wwe money all right this is a step up from indies but you're you're making what 200 300 bucks a taping and so she took to ebay and to twitter and uh sold some of her uh some of her equipment and some of her stuff not everything you know obviously but just some monographs and stuff like that to uh, help fund to get her car fixed. And uh, I highly, highly recommend you go and check it out, especially if you're a fan of hers, because she seems to be one of the most down-to-earth women I've ever talked with. And so I, you know, my hat's off to her. She's figuring it out. Wrestlers need to be paid better. I mean, no matter what level you're talking, everyone needs to be paid better, but but wrestlers are... Some of the most underpaid for what they do as far as what the damage that they do to themselves. They don't have any benefits. They, they're on the road constantly. It's a lot like being a stand-up comic in a lot of ways. It's a tough life, and stuff like that happens, and they get set back, and then they have to resort to selling stuff on, on the Internet. And I, I just wish it was better. I yeah. wish there was a better way yeah. for wrestlers to... Just be employees and just get a regular paycheck every week like the rest of us. And so where if you take an ambulance ride or if something's stolen, it's not the end of the world. I mean, even if that if that stuff happened to us, it would still be pretty bad, but we wouldn't have to go Yeah. Crowdfund. We have well, exactly. We have other means of income and Right, and we have insurance and we have If you're if you're Thunder Rosa or you're you're probably also getting paid under the table a lot of times and just yeah. cash. You don't, you know, right. You have a regular job and this is almost a hobby. And then, then you finally take that, you dive off into the, the great abyss. And yeah, this transitional time for indie wrestlers is probably the hardest. It is. You, you, because you don't have time to do anything else. You quit your job. You You're walk, going all in. You, yeah. You walk away from family Everything you got, you've got packed in a suitcase in your car, and you're going from show to show, living out of hotel to hotel, and trying to get your name out there and to get picked up. And that's what she's done to make it to the NWA, and by no means am I belittling the NWA. The NWA is a huge stepping stone right now for talent, and I love what they're doing. Okay, So by no means am I belittling that. But it's 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 a profession wide problem. Yeah. Just in general. Because yeah. also while you're on the road doing all this, 
expenses mount up, rental cars, hotel rooms, all that mounts up. So it's not like, I mean, oh, I got $300 and now I'm pocketing all that money. No, it's $75 for the hotel, 100 for the rental car, and then meals, whatever, your gym membership to stay in shape, your tanning subscription that you have to do. I mean, everything you have to do to maintain this persona, it's... It's a tough life. Well, and yeah, and on the on you do the the weekly indies, and you you get anywhere from five to ten, maybe maybe twenty bucks, depending on how good you are. Then when you take that dive, and uh, that's it. I mean, that's all you got. It's make it, it's make it or break it. And so um, a lot of times, it's unfortunately it's break it. But you you jump into your car that you have that you hopefully own and don't have payments on because you're screwed if you do and you uh you, you know you you, you, hustle. you mick foley it you live out of your car you travel from you know show to show state to state trying to get your name out there and you you know you're hitting social media now nowadays it's not word of mouth it's hitting up you know hey this person runs this show in mississippi hey this person runs this show up here and you're hitting them up you're sending them online your matches and stuff like that and be like, Hey, I'm, you know, I'd like to come work with you. I'd like to definitely support her, support those guys. You know, you're James storm. You're James storm. You're doing week, weekend shows, but you can't subsidize your, also your money by working a Monday through Friday, you know, job cause you're James storm. I mean, who, you know, right. Yeah. So, this one confused me a little, and it's a lot of accusations. MLW has accused WWE of contract tampering, that they are trying to get their talent from MLW because apparently with MJF and some of the others that have left from MLW to head to AEW, they're not wanting to lose upcoming talent to another company or another brand. I don't know how true this is, but they took it extremely seriously and their attorneys were involved and it became a, a, a somewhat of a sit down face to face conversation about it. It, it was a, it was a heated thing. It wasn't just social media, bad mouthing and nobody, you know, nothing came of it. It was, it was kind of a serious accusation and so um and that's all it is it's an accusation but still court bauer has accused them of contract tampering in the past in 2018 and this all this news coincides with on wwe network's show the bump that morning stupid show that they do davy boy smith jr was on there and he has been on the network a couple times in the in the last year or so and i don't know if this means that he's signed with them. I don't know if it's a coincidence, but this news is coming out the same week that they feature an MLW wrestler on their network. So, and to show up to a network show at the studios in Stanford and then them not talk to you, just, I mean, that's, that alone probably constitutes enough to say contract tampering if they just say, oh, hey, how's it going? Um, What kind of money you making down there? Something as simple as that. It's very... It's a very touchy thing, but this is something that Vince, this is how he made his empire in the 80s was acquiring talent when, I mean. He went from town to town and took it. Yeah, and 
I mean, that's what it was. And it's, you know, it, you do what you got to do. I'm not knocking him on it. I'd do the same thing. And in this case, and in this case, just like it was back then, you're dealing with, it's the same way it is now as it was back then where, okay, so they are tampering with your talent. You're, you don't have enough money to take them to court to do anything about it. Yep. Because it's going to cost you more in the long run to prove a point. And meanwhile, your talent's still going to leave. So you're screwed either way. Vince McMahon's really mastered the art of taking talent. So, as well, as we can tell by their 300 member roster. Exactly. And what are you going to do? I don't care how much money that you offer me at this point in time. If I'm a talent, WWE's not where I'm going. I'm sorry. Don't 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 feed into the money. Feed into the love and the desire that you have for wrestling. I know that's against WCW stories, but it's the case because you get signed at WWE, you're sitting at home. Yeah, but, I mean, we've talked about this before many times too, though. A, a downside guarantee, a guaranteed paycheck from week to week for a lot of these wrestlers is more than what they would get if they stayed on the indie circuit. So it comes down to, do you want a guaranteed paycheck week to week, or do you want the potential to be creatively fulfilled? And for a lot of these guys, they're going to take the money. Uh, and that's obvious because of the 300 people that have done it. So, or you end up like Thunder Rosa and you have to go crowd, you know, crowdfunding when, when shit happens to you. So I don't blame them for, for choosing to take the WWE money. I don't either, but I mean, you do have AEW you do have New Japan. You do have Ring of Honor. These guys, you do have Impact, which Impact has money, <laughs> which I never thought in a million years. But, so, I mean, obviously there's Yeah, I mean, there. Ring of Honor still has money. I mean, there, there, yeah, there are plenty of options for yeah. you, but like I said, that downside guarantee is yeah. pretty nice Yeah, to be able to sit at home. And also, there's no bigger company i mean this is still the biggest company and but how how much of you sitting at home because here's the thing if you're not in the public eye your importance is dwindling it's sort of what's happened to those nxt uk guys wwe went over raided the the uk scene signed all those guys but then they put this show on on like thursday afternoons or whenever it airs they never talk about it on Raw, SmackDown, anything. Sometimes they show up on main roster NXT, but then that's it. And so, yeah, I think a lot of those guys are probably rethinking their decision now, yeah. but at the same time, still get paid. So, yeah, I mean, you're getting that money now, but for how long? See, that's the thing is I look at it long term, and I'm not knocking anybody. I look at it long term of the fact that your importance of public eye, if you're sitting on your butt, for a year at the house getting a paycheck yeah you're getting that guaranteed money for a year but for farther than that once that contract's up and wwe's like nah well you didn't really bring what we thought you needed so we're gonna have to go ahead and let you go well you've been sitting on your butt nobody you're not a hot commodity to pick up by somebody else yeah you'll end up like the ascension yeah and just gone exactly so, 
you have to think long term. Do I want to suffer now to prep for the future? Or do I want to jump the gun and take what I can get now and and for me, I'm I want to prep for the future. I don't want to I don't want to jump straight into WWE and be like, okay, and sit sit on my ass at the house. There is also something to be said about building up your value so you go in and you get a bigger contract anyway if you the more you are built up, but yeah. as we discussed, it's a very very hard life to choose yeah. when you could take an easy way if you have the option to take an easier way out. It's all about your future. And that's that's kind of the one thing that I go to. Anyway, um, moving forward, this one I I highly, highly, highly do not believe. But it's in the news, and so I'm going to say it. Uh, I don't know information or details of it. You probably know more than I do. However, um, Ted DiBiase and his foundation – was caught receiving, was it little over $2 million in stolen welfare money? So stolen welfare money, uh, I, I don't know. It was, it was embezzled. Uh, Ted DiBiase Sr., uh, the patriarch of the DiBiase clan. Million Dollar Man. The Million Dollar Man, yes, of course. The fourth member of the New World Order. The person who introduced us to the ringmaster, Steve Austin, in the WWF, yes, that Ted DiBiase, the million-dollar man, in a ironic twist, is somehow involved in a scandal involving millions of dollars. So <laughs> his son, not Ted Jr., but Brett, was indicted last week for allegedly embezzling charity funds. He received $2.1 million in welfare from the state of Mississippi. This is according to the Clarion Ledger, which is a newspaper in Mississippi. DiBiase formed the Heart of David Ministries. In 2013, the Heart of David Ministries received just $5,000 in grants. This is all coming from the New York Post. But in 2017, they got $271,000 in welfare money when Brett was hired as a senior official at the Mississippi Department of Human Services by former director John Davis, who was also indicted. This scheme doesn't just include DiBiase's charity. Apparently, this this board that hands out, that doles out the money, stole more than $4.15 million from the welfare funds. Wow. DiBiase's group received as much as $900,000 one year. Brett, who actually did try to wrestle, was given a $95,000 salary despite no clear qualifications for the position and reportedly used $48,000 on rehab for his drug addiction. Oh. Heart of David Ministries reported its grant money was spent on general church speaking engagements, religious conferences, school assemblies, and wrestling events, though the group did not file any tax documents with the IRS the past two years, which, if you're a nonprofit, you still have to file a document. You don't have to pay taxes, but you still have to file a document. Apparently, they didn't file this document for the past two years. What makes this case so controversial isn't necessarily the money. It's that the state of Mississippi turned down 98% of welfare applicants, so people that needed the money, uh, they turned down 98% of them and gave $2 million to the DiBiase's foundation. So a scandal that might not involve Ted Sr. himself, but certainly involves his son Brett, who is 
indicted in this scheme. So, uh, terrible, terrible story. And, um, yeah, we'll just have to see how that unfolds. But yeah. you can't do that. You That's... can't use your position. But, you know, I hate to just broad stroke, you know, officials, but people in positions of power in government that have control of money misappropriating funds is just rampant. If you're in a position in government where you're given money yeah. to say, hey, dole this out, it happens all the time where people, they give kickbacks to their buddies or they give kickbacks to people they like, charities they like, things that they do, whether it's in the interest of the state or not. And happens all the time, unfortunately, here they got caught. Well, yeah, not getting into politics or anything like that, but you know as well as I do, Vince gave that money to Trump, which then got, got Linda, Linda a, job. a job. So I'm just saying that kind of stuff is is common. Yes, it's common. It's it's commonplace. We'll have to see how this case plays out, but I do feel bad for the people, the individuals that applied for welfare and were denied. And I mean that—that's the saddest part of this story is that, that you people had, are out there suffering because other people got greedy. Yeah, exactly. So we'll follow this story as it as it unwinds through the courts. Uh, man, we got some more courts here. Uh, <laughs> By the way, I want to recommend a podcast called Crime in Sports, and they do—they cover criminals who are also athletes. And they, I don't listen to all their episodes, but a, f- a few years ago, I listened to their Scott Hall episode and learned a lot more about really Scott Hall than was even in his like WWE DVD. Right, I and mean, I mean, we all know the story about him killing that guy. Yeah. And stuff in self defense and and everything else, but a lot more. They profile a lot more wrestlers. So I've been going through and listening to some of the wrestler stories and stuff. And like they have one on Jim the Anvil Neidhart and some of the hijinks he got into. And they had one on Gentleman Chris Adams. And they had, I mean, they have tons of them. They have one on Kerry Von Eric. And so, well, I mean, there's a lot in wrestling to pick oh, from. So it's yeah, and and, and it's there. Wrestlers are still helping them today. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So you're about to tell us our latest uh, potential crime in sports podcast. Yes. Uh, Teddy Hart. Teddy Hart, yes. Well, he's he's at this point probably got enough to have an episode of crime in sports because (laughs) a lot of stuff. I mean, the, the stuff about his girlfriend that went missing a few years ago or whatever, and even dating back before that, tons of drug problems. Um, yeah. Throughout the years. Well, he was arrested in Virginia for controlled substance. Well, so, I mean... There you go. Shocking. Um, addiction is a lifetime battle. You're never cured of addiction. Any no. any addict will tell you that because in recovery, they tell you you're still an addict. It's not something that just goes away. So even when you get on a streak of, of being good... You're still there's that chance, and so you got to stay strong. Yeah, the potential is always there for you to slip, but yeah. for MLW to cut Teddy, I mean, tells you there was some shit going on that they didn't like or pers- or could see getting ready to happen. I mean, this guy has burned his bridge in many a wrestling organization. Oh man, you ain't lying. And he had a lot of potential. I mean, now he's getting a little little old, a little long in the tooth, but. And he's burnt so many bridges. I mean, he had the opportunity to be in the WWE. I mean, second and third generation and just 
I mean, we talked earlier about the Anawahi family. I mean, the Hart family, they'll sign them. That's, I mean, that's the WWE's mentality with wrestling families. And the fact that this one, they wouldn't. Yeah, that tells you all you pretty much need to know because they'll give anybody else a shot. And, I mean, he was in there for a minute, but he was gone. A very short minute. Yeah, he was in there very, very, very briefly. So I'm not sure where he fits in the Hart family. (laughs) I forget whose kid he is. Um in the few matches I've seen of his, uh, dating back to even that MTV Wrestling League and all that stuff, you know, I mean, I can see a moonsault done a million times, only so many times, yeah. basically. You know, Cody Rhodes doesn't do a moonsault a million times in his matches. That's why the one off the cage was pretty cool. Yeah. If he had done four of them before that off the turnbuckle, that one wouldn't have been, I mean, it still would have been cool, but it wouldn't have been, like, amazing. Right. So, but Teddy Hart, this moonsault, just moonsault, moonsault, moonsault. Just uh, come up with something else. Yeah. Emmett Brian Clark Jr., better known as Brian Clark, a.k.a. Adam Baum. uh, Wrath. Wrath. WCW wrestler. WWF wrestler. Yeah. Uh, Well, Chronic is going to go with this. Uh, He pled not guilty to a series of charges including transporting narcotics Uh, I think you said there was a firearm involved Brian Clark and a man named Dennis Makatis I think is how you pronounce his name Uh, a celebrity in his own right he was a member of a 1960s pop band of some sort wow they not Brian Clark but this Dennis guy yeah so uh, Brian Clark 55 and Dennis who's 73 pleaded not guilty as they face a series of charges including transporting narcotics as happened in Arizona. Clark faces conspiracy, illegal control of enterprise, transporting or selling narcotics, drug possession, and possessing a weapon during a drug offense. The acts occurred in January and April of last year. Dennis is the keyboardist for the band The Buckinghams who were a pop band in the 60s. He faces charges of conspiracy, illegal control of enterprise, transporting or selling narcotics, and an incident in January of 2019. Clark's attorneys contend the charges against their client are unreliable and false information. The police report contains alleged facts that have been grossly misconstrued and are incorrect. His attorneys state the ludicrous weapons charge is based on a family heirloom, a Korean war pistol that was unused and stored at Clark's home. The Arizona Attorney General's office would not comment further, so I don't know what kind of narcotics or whatever conspiracy these two guys were involved in. So, yeah, that's what's happening with Brian Clark. So there's two people right out of the gate. Three people. DiBiase's son. Uh, there's three straight out of the gate for them to pick from. Yeah. <laughs> we yeah. make jokes. It's actually very sad, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Uh so, no, sad. Yeah, Brian Clark. I mean, uh, former Navy man. I think. Yeah. Uh, you know, if he had played his cards right, I mean, he could have gotten a Legends contract, been in the video games, make some bucks on the side. But you know, I don't know. Maybe. What does it take to get that? I am curious now because it's not like you see one man game getting a Legends contract. Which, by the way, hint, hint, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. One man gang needs to be in. The a Legends contract, just for those who are listening. Well, one way to not get the Legends contract is that he was part of the 
class action lawsuit about brain injuries. Oh, well, there you go right there. So that's the end of that. So, yeah. So uh, I'm looking on his Wikipedia page. I don't see any other, like, criminal things in his past. So, um, yeah, really bizarre. Yeah, and these guys are innocent until proven guilty. I mean, let's be honest. I'm not... I'm not bringing it up to flat out say, hey, Oh, you I know, did yeah, it. yeah, yeah. I mean, when the prosecution is booking you in February of 2020 based on stuff that happened in January and April of 2019, that means they have been following you, they've been tracking you, they have a hell of a case. They've been building up a hell of a case. So we'll see how this plays out as well and keep you updated in future episodes of the Retro Wrestling Podcast. Yeah. WWE launches... A WWE Performance Center in Japan in the near future. Well, this was part of their strategic plan a couple of years ago when they launched NXT UK. I mean, they said at the time, we want to set up NXT all over the, the planet. Australia, Japan, the Asian market. China is probably the biggest market that they want to break into. And so, yeah, this is part of their plan now. Uh, in Japan, going into the backyard of organizations like All Japan and New Japan and DDT and all those other Japanese wrestling organizations, probably not going to attract the best talent because over there they are not the name brand business, but they can still get a few. Yeah. And, but like we talked about with NXT UK, you put on a show called NXT Japan and you air it what friday mornings or something i mean we've seen how japanese talent has been treated on the main roster they're made jokes they're made everybody spits mist uh nobody gets to cut promos because you can't speak english they are they win the royal rumble and then do nothing i mean nakamura has had a terrible run yes and oscar goes undefeated in nxt comes up Loses to Charlotte at WrestleMania. So she both Royal Rumble. And that right there dropped her down to nothing. And not against tag champ. Not against Kylie Zane or anything, but yeah, she's a tag champ. She's in the tag team now. She's on on that strip of a tag team line. They've done nothing with the women's tag division since they started it. That was all for publicity. That was all for, hey, look at how progressive we are. We got women tag belts. We got a WWE Evolution, but you don't have one this year. Right. It's not on the pay-per-view. It's been two years now since that. So, I mean, there's still a possibility that they could have one this year because it was in October originally, I think, the first one. It's not on the list as of now. Yeah. So that was all for show. They've done nothing with those belts. When they gave them to the Iconics, that was it. They were dead. Those belts were... These are joke belts. This is the 24-7 belt. And that's why you have Asuka challenging... That's why she had a match for the belt against Becky Lynch at the last pay-per-view. Because the tag belts, who cares? Yeah. I mean... Until they build it back up, I'm not saying that it's dead forever, but if I was a Japanese wrestler, I'd be very weary of joining the WWE in any capacity. As you saw with Kenta, you just quit and you just go back. Jimmy Wang Yang. I think they've done better with toning down the stereotypes and making them comedy characters. But as far as giving them pushes... To Jerry? Yeah, to Jerry was, of course, yeah, William Regal's lackey. And, you know, I nobody... Uh... Funaki. Funaki. Yeah. 
all of all of Kai and Tai. Yeah. It it all it it became a their best Japanese wrestler wasn't Japanese and his name was Yokozuna. That's the only yeah even. It's pretty sad that here we are in 2020 and your best in quotation marks Japanese wrestler was Samoan. Yeah. <laughs> I mean and I mean and Nakamura came in with I mean steam blowing out his ass. He came in there hauling. Well, that sounds disgusting. Well, but I'm just saying he was he was oh, rolling. A ton of momentum. He was rolling and blowing through people in NXT and blowing through people right out of the gate when he showed up. That was it. I mean, as quickly as he was running, it's like hitting a brick wall and he stopped. Yeah, his first match in NXT against Sami Zayn, who is now his manager. That's how far Sami Zayn has fallen as well. Not a Japanese wrestler. But <laughs> it was an amazing match. Yeah. And it was like ever since that match, even the matches he had in NXT, yeah, he was winning them, but he wasn't putting on great performances. Then they give him the Rumble win. And I compared a lot to the Alberto Del Rio Rumble win where you win it and then... You actually fall down the roster from yeah. that point on. Yeah. But at least Del Rio held the belt at some time. And, I mean, Nakamura's walking around with this intercontinental belt, but rarely defends it. God, it is ugly, too. Yeah. Why Why change it? Why? Because of Cody. Cody. Yeah. Because of fucking Cody. Spite. Yeah, it's yeah. out of spite. That's all. And it's hideous, though. It is absolutely And to sell hideous. belts. Why make a custom fiend title when the one? The, I mean, he's got he's got a blue. They already made a blue universe. They've already changed the universal belt. Why introduce fiend belt to sell more belts? So, yeah. We talked about New Japan, and we've been talking about Japan. Uh, last but certainly not least, William Regal's son has begun to work for New Japan Pro Wrestling as the Young Lion. Yeah, well, that says a lot about the NXT Performance Center, that pathway, when William Regal's son decides to go to the dojo instead because William Regal says to him, hey, son. Don't come where I'm working. If you want to be trained the right way, if you want to be trained the right way and be different from everybody else and not be (laughs) cookie cutter, uh, this is the WWE way or the highway style of training that's that was one of the criticisms of a wrestler like cody rhodes when he was in the wwe is that he was wrestling like a wwe wrestler like the miz wrestles like everybody wrestles the same way elias wrestles the same way anybody that's come up through that system dynasty they had they had momentum and then you put randy orton with them and boom because i loved him and ted dibiase jr that was a good tag team but it was, what, three months and that was it? But stylistically, though, they were still wrestling a very boring True. WWE style. And Cody's gotten a lot better since then. And he was capable of a lot more, but they also, you know, they handcuff you. I when, mean, when the cameras went off, it, this was great. You saying that reminded me. It's, he spoke live on the, on the microphone to the crowd and thanked them. He openly thanked the crowd for being so critical of him when he started because he would not be where he is at today if it wasn't for fans making jokes about him putting a sack on his head or wearing a mask or a freaking mustache or not being a good wrestler so you're you're exactly right wwe has that criteria and that's 
what they want you to do and even people that trained outside and came up through a different system a guy like john moxley you see how he wrestles as dean ambrose and he wrestles this generic style but as soon as he's able to get out of there he's a totally different he's transformed yeah so it it just says a lot you yourself was saying he was he had gotten stale he got oh i was done with him he just didn't give a shit nothing but his first match when he showed up at AEW was completely well, a 180. It was his first match was that I saw him do was actually in New Japan. But the first match that he did that I saw outside of WWE in New Japan that he did, I was like, "Wow, I'm I'm back in. Yeah, you've convinced me. I mean, and and that interview that interview he did with Jericho convinced me that he was just. He was, burn out. He yeah. was he was put into a box. He create he was creatively dissatisfied, and in the ring, obviously, he was handcuffed in what he could do and the, what he could showcase. We want you to do this. We want you to do that. Okay, I'll do it because you're my boss, and I'll do it that way. So, yeah. well, it was my pick for this episode of the Retro Wrestling Podcast, and I decided to choose a very very bad pay per view because <laughs> I every once in a while I I often complain about oh three hour bad shows and they're so terrible. Every now and then I'm a glutton for punishment. Let's just say things in my professional life have been kind of crazy the last <laughs> couple of months, and I just wanted something to torture myself. To uh, you know, a little bit of uh, self harm, safe safe self harm, basically, <laughs> where I watch a really bad wrestling show. I subject myself. I have to see how bad it truly was, and so that's why I chose the 1999 edition of WCW Halloween Havoc, a tradition in WCW. Every October, you knew. Halloween Havoc was on the schedule. One of their big four, I guess you could say. So Great American Bash, Halloween Havoc, Starcade, Super Brawl. Those are the big four, I'd say, in WCW. If you, if if I mean that's up for debate, but that's what yeah. I would consider those franchise pay-per-views that you can always count on. What made this one so interesting is it took place October twenty-fourth, nineteen ninety-nine. One week after Vince Russo and Ed Ferrara decided to take over booking WCW. They were, well, this pay-per-view takes place one week after Ed Ferrara and Vince Russo are given the keys to WCW by Turner Management. They were hired a few weeks before that, but this is the first week they get the keys to the car. Now, why in the world would you, on one week heading into a pay-per-view, decide to totally change the trajectory of your creative. You know, totally different people doing... Not saying that they were on fire before, because this is when it was the committee and mainly Nash doing a lot of the booking. So I'm not saying, oh, it's like they, they really screwed up something good going into this. But even then, Patrick, if we're doing really bad booking already... I'm not just going to say one week before the pay-per-view. We're shaking it up. Here you go. Here you go. Oh, we brought in someone new. We brought in uh, We brought in some uh, dude, uh, Bill. Here you go, Bill. Good luck. <laughs> I mean, just totally ludicrous. Um, and, uh, yeah. I mean, WCW, we talk about it all the time. They... 
WCW manages to step on every landmine, make every mistake, do everything wrong every single time. There are very few times where we sit here and say, man, they really got it right this time. Very few. There Which are very is so, few. You take somebody like Hacksaw Jim Duggan and you have him being a janitor. One of the most patriotic wrestlers of all time. Well, and he had just beaten cancer. He could have been a huge baby face. Yeah. But no, they, they put him in a janitor suit and had him find the TV title in the garbage can, among many other ideas that they had. Before we recorded the podcast today, I decided to turn on the Nitro heading into this pay-per-view because that was Russo and Ferrara's first night on the job. And I wanted to see how crazy things got. And right off the bat, Patrick... It was bad, wasn't it? They wanted to tell you that this shit was going to get batshit crazy real quick. Because they immediately shit on, basically, their introduction to this company is they have a cruiserweight match to start out Nitro. Commonplace. Uh, A pillar of Nitro. Cruiserweight match starts tonight. Straight out of the gate. It's Hoovy versus Evan Courageous. An up-and-comer. Okay, fine. Things are going well. In the middle of this match, Patrick, Bret Hart, who is not in a feud with Hulk Hogan at all, and not in a feud with Hoovy or Evan Courageous, walks to the ring, grabs a mic, and the two wrestlers who were wrestling a match, Patrick, just walk off. They just, okay, Bret Hart's going to talk now. And Bret Hart then challenges Hulk Hogan, which has not been built up at all. He references his time in the WWF. He references the two guys from New York, so now we're getting into that bullshit work shoot shit that Vince Russo loves so much. So right out of the gate, Patrick. Right out of the gate. The very first match they had an opportunity to book. The very first opening segment of their very first show. Just let the match happen and then go into something. They can't. They can't. Car Crash TV. That's his style. Can't can't focus on anything and it also indicates that he hates and vince russo said this many times bro if you can't speak english you're not going to be a star in this company and i mean hoovy had limited english i mean the juice is loose you know he hoovy was a great i mean he was one of those you knew i'm not saying you don't know them all but i'm just saying he was one of those handful of of luchadors that Ray, Hoovy, Psychosis, Ultimo Dragon, uh, La Parca, you know, he's in that that core handful that you got a great match every time they went out. It also and it also showed that we're gonna shit we're going to take a shit on the cruiserweight division, yeah. which Halloween Havoc reinforces as we see who's so, champion. So later. clearly, yeah. Basically, Vince Russo said, you know what you like about WCW? Fuck that. Fuck all that. We're going to do things that I like. So on that same episode of Nitro, they also had an evening gown match. Because that's what WCW was always known for, were their evening gown matches. Well, of course. And it was also the debut of Jeff Jarrett, who stole a bunch of money from Vince McMahon. Or one of those few times, you know, we frame Jeff Jarrett as a, you know the bad guy or the ultimate warrior as the bad guy for holding Vince up for money. You know, Vince McMahon every once in a while deserves to get fucked by a wrestler, you know? 
that's what I've uh, I've kind of changed my mind about how I feel about that <laughs> on that topic. Yeah, on, you know the... what? Fuck him. You know, he's, he, he has screwed with a lot of wrestlers, and he's got tons of money. It's not making a. He's a billionaire. It's a, he's not making a dent in his pocketbook <laughs> for you to hold him up for a quarter million dollars or whatever it is. You know, you know what? Fuck you, Vince. You know, you deserve to pay up every once in a while. So. Good for Jeff Jarrett for getting some fucking money and getting out of there. We open Halloween Havoc 1999 with a recap of the Sid Vicious and Goldberg feud, which was going off the rails before Russo and Ferrara got there. So this is not their fault. So we open Halloween Havoc 1999 with a recap of the Sid Vicious and Goldberg feud. Now, I believe this is when Sid was on his own streak. He decided he was going to make his own streak Despite having been defeated many thousands of times by this point in 1999, he was going to be the Millennium Man and undefeated, and he he's going to put his imaginary streak on the line against Goldberg, who also doesn't have a streak because he was defeated at Starcade 98. So that was the basis of the feud, was two guys with two imaginary streaks. So... The feud wasn't that hot to begin with, but then on Nitro it got even dumber because Sid had a stipulation where no touching. You can't touch me, Goldberg. If you touch me before the match, <laughs> you it's don't off. get your match. So the no touching. Goldberg spears his ass. Immediately breaks the Immediately. stip. Yeah, so that was Vince Russo booking. So break the stip, fuck it. We'll still have the match anyway. Whatever. Who cares? Then we get a recap of the Sting and Hulk Hogan feud, which on Nitro you'd be very confused about because, like I said, on their first Nitro, Bret Hart comes out, cuts a promo on Hogan, but then Sting comes out, cuts a promo on Bret, and gives Bret a heavyweight title shot on Nitro. So we don't even know that Hogan and and Sting are going to have a match tonight on Nitro from the, the bit that I watched before. I legitimately fell asleep on the couch. So they totally confused the audience with this because also on Nitro, Sting came across as a baby face towards Brett. But now in this tonight, he's going to be a heel. He's working heel. Against Hogan, who's wearing the yellow and the red. We think. We think. We'll see what happens with that tonight. We'll see their grand idea for this match. For the fans in the MGM Arena in Vegas, where they've held a few of these Halloween Havocs, boy, were they in store for a night of entertainment, folks. Fucking shit show. Tony Schiavone and Bobby Heenan have the call. Breaking news, Rey Mysterio is injured and cannot compete tonight, so the Filthy Animals have been stripped of their tag team titles that they just won on Nitro. So... Even though there are other members of the Filthy Animals who could take the place, Freebird fill-in rule, yeah. yeah. So that's what they're going to do anyway. And you're going to be very confused when later on they come out with the tag team belts that they were allegedly stripped of. The powers that be, as they're referred to, decide that tonight we're going to have a six-man Falls Count Anywhere tag team title match. So there you go. Ed Ferrara and Vince Russo would not appear on screen. They would be referred to as the powers that be. Eventually, Ferrar would appear as Oklahoma to make fun of Jim Ross and his Bell's Palsy, but Vince Russo would never appear on TV until he was rehired with Bischoff to try to save the company. So they would all, they would show just a desk, and he would have his hands, and you would hear him, but you would never see him, even though... So I, I'm curious. The Bell's Palsy comedy of... Oklahoma. Oklahoma and 
all of their bullshit that they did in regards to JR. What was that for? Because that's not only making fun of some uh, uh, a talent of it's another fun of a condition. It's making fun of a medical condition that thousands, if not millions, suffer from. So how? What in the world made them think that was a good idea? I'm sure that Ferrara and Russo did not like Jr. in WWF because he was head of talent relations at the time. Right. He probably had a lot of pull with the boys. The top guy, Steve Austin, was always going to be on Jr.'s side. So I'm I'm sure anytime creative meetings came up or whatever, Austin was going to side with Jr.'s idea. Events was going to side. I mean, I think it had to do with just them having a bad relationship with Jr. in the WWF. I just don't see that doesn't end well for anybody. That's not. Here's my thing. And then you pour barbecue sauce all over the man, and he's acting like he's stripping in this barbecue sauce. Okay. But back to my my point. You think that going out there beforehand, you thought about it backstage, we're going to do it. Comes today of the show, still doing it comes to hour beforehand we're still doing it this is not just attacking one person that this was such bad taste in attacking people as a whole that suffer from this condition that we're just going to go ahead and do it anyway you're right in your 2020 mindset because i don't think this would fly today but also you have to look at the other wrestling companies and what the wwf had done um even after this, with the gold dust stuttering thing, I mean, there are millions of people that suffer from a stutter. That's true. Okay. Uh, That's and very Bubba true. Ray Dudley in ECW. Stuttering is not a deathly disease like uh, Bell's palsy. It can kill you. Bell's palsy. I know. Or Bell's palsy can lead to a stroke. From what I've never known someone to have it, but from what I have, from what small little bit that I understand, it's something that is. It's a mini stroke, or it can lead to a much major... It can kill you. You and I have had this discussion before, but a character like Eugene, okay? Someone yeah. who is portrayed as being slow or, or whatever Mentally you want. Mentally handicapped. Yeah, I'm afraid to use any language uh, around that. Because, I mean, but yeah, like I just... People weren't as sensitive, and there wasn't social media, so you could just easily fire off a tweet to... At Turner, what are you doing making fun of Bell's palsy? I mean, even the WWE uh, with Dean Ambrose calling you know calling out Roman Reigns' leukemia, he got what he deserved. Or um, yeah, Paige when she mentioned that Reed Flair died of a drug overdose and stuff like that. I mean, they still do tasteless stuff to yeah. this day. It was a lot more. It was a lot easier to do it then because there was no social media to. Well, and you couldn't face the consequence. First of all, let me hold off for a second before we continue with this. I know there's going to be that asshole out there that goes, "Oh, well, three shows beforehand over the NWA and Cornette situation, you said you didn't give a shit about what people I didn't give a shit about political correctness, and I don't. But I am a human being. I do have a heart. I do have feelings, and those feelings towards others are one of the most important things if you're not a lending a hand to 
your fellow man. I guess that's where I'm coming from on the matter. It's not it's not political correctness that I'm bitching about. It's it's just flat out not right because there's <laughs> there are people that suffer really suffer well, and there with are, things. There are starving people in Ethiopia too. So, well, I mean, true. I mean, but it's a case by case. It's a case I by just, case thing. I just can't fucking understand it. I can't. It blows my mind how they were thinking this was a good idea. A comment with Cornet. You know where I stood on that one because it it went through so many filters. You know they obviously you know if it was a problem they would have caught it. Who who out of the thousand people that was working for Turner at this point in time and you know political correctness people it's been very well documented political correctness tv correctness oh they were very sensitive about calling people fat about people blading how many people could bleed um standards and practices vince russo blames them for shit all the time okay but they let this fly the words right out of my mouth yeah exactly they let this go you're making fun of somebody with Bell's palsy? Here's how I think they they slid by is because Oklahoma never said Bell's palsy. He never Right. He all he did was the the affect of the the mouth and stuff like that. So in his defense, it's not making fun of Bell's palsy, it's making fun of Jim Ross who unfortunately due to the effects of that has that has that look to yeah. him and that speech and that's something he can't help. So I'm sure that would be their defense if they were brought into a room, which they obviously weren't. And the way WCW... <laughs> it just blows my mind. That's the only WCW thing. being so mismanaged, it's, it's, it's really a case of who's watching, you know, in corporate, you know, right. at... Right. At Turner Tower, you know, <laughs> at CNN Center, who's paying attention... How much influence do they have? You know, if Hank Aaron, back in the early 90s when he was a part of Turner, uh, when he saw problems when, with, like, stuff that Bill Watts said, guess what? Bill Watts got fucking fired. And which so, is exactly what happened. Yeah. So it's just who you are, who the message gets to, and... <laughs> I'm just trying to see how they... How did that one fly? I, I guess that's my whole... It took me... It Listen, we had to go through the woods and over the mountain to grandmother's house to get to it. But, yeah, short version is, how did that one fly under the radar well enough to get on TV? But, oh, but a character like Seven, which was also introduced on the Nitro before this, oh, that's that's too edgy. Yeah. We got to put the... He looks... Yeah, that's like a child molester there. We yeah. got to put a stop to that. Yeah. I don't know. There's a bizarre... It's a made up it's like it's like the pro wrestling rule book. We just make it up as we go along. And you know, it, it was probably a thing like Vince Russo hands standards and practices a hundred things that they're gonna do on TV this week. And somebody had to sit there and sort through each single one of them. And that one just kind of... Maybe that one was towards the back of the book, and the guy was tired of just crossing things out saying, fuck no, you're not doing this. You're not putting this on a pole. Okay, you can put that on a pole. No, you can't say that. No condom Uh, jokes. Yeah, and then just (laughs) slid it back, you know? And I mean, that's... 
that's all I can think of. I just this place was so mismanaged. It was that, bad. Uh, that yeah, I, but that was my thing was, and I bring the I bring that up. You brought it up. But I bring it up as well to what happened again later. That there was so much backstage crap. That how in the hell did that make TV? But yet, situations like what happened later were forced onto TV because of no lead way in it, behind the curtain, I guess is the way I'm getting at it. Well, I mean, there was something that happened in this pay-per-view that just WCW, Turner from a corporate perspective, would have lost their mind, or I would think so. If you're referring to the, so they had a product, is that what you're? You, Medusa brought out a certain product. Oh, I wasn't even talking about that. Okay. Oh, was, oh no, that, that's another story in itself. No, I was talking about okay. the the other uh, non-match that. Oh, well, lots of bait and switch tonight. Yeah. On, on everything. So yeah, if, if you came here tonight to watch Rey Mysterio, well, sorry, card subject to change. As for others. Yes. They run down the card, most of which will not be happening tonight. <laughs> and then the opening match is a cruiserweight title match between... Disco and Lash LaRue. Yes, champion Disco Inferno of the cruiserweight division. The hallmark, the sacred cow of the WCW <laughs> titles, basically. Oh, this thing has been so well protected. Now, this belt would eventually end up on Medusa, on Oklahoma, and might as well have been thrown in the garbage with the TV title, uh, the way that Russo and Ferrara treated it. Well, as we saw later in the show, this Medusa, one of Medusa's breasts would not even be considered under the cruiserweight weight class. So I don't understand how that worked either. Yes, so Disco Inferno is out in his pimp outfit to remind us it's 1999 when everybody dressed like pimps, and I'm sure this was a Russo suggestion too. Like, hey, we had the Godfather in WWF. Here, wear this shit. He would also change Disco Inferno's name to Disco with a Q later on, so lots of Disco Inferno ideas from Vince Russo. Oh, Lord. Lash LaRue wearing Mardi Gras beads to remind you that he's the raging Cajun. I mean, he might have... They should have just thrown a Saints jersey on him, sent him out there, the big um, hand grenade thing from... Just totally remind you... I mean, they couldn't beat it over your head more that he's from southern Louisiana. Just need to remind you that. Now, they should have went all out and had him like... Bobby Boucher come out with like, you know, overalls and just totally just make him into he's walking out of the swamp. That's what they should have done. Instead, he was like a Chris Jericho knockoff. Disco thumbs him in the eye and DDTs him. Lash hits a drop kick and a scoop slam for a near fall, followed by a power slam for another near fall. Lash impersonates Disco's dancing and actually does it better than Disco could. He does. Lash does a split. The man with L and L for his sideburns. I'm going to shave my beard just like that. For a P and a Y. That would yeah. be really cool. I'm going to. 
So they brawl in the ring mats. They get their heads smacked into the steps. LaRue tries a flying hurricane run off the top rope and nearly breaks his own neck trying to complete this. Lash LaRue trying to wrestle like Rey Mysterio. Not a good idea. By the way, LaRue, not sure he's a cruiserweight either. Uh, Both of these guys, I don't think they'd be on 205 Live. No. Disco goes for the last dance, which is the Stone Cold Stunner. Uh, but Lash counters with a backbreaker. Disco hits a swinging neckbreaker for a two count, a Russian leg sweep, then a double axe handle, gets another near fall, a pile driver to Lash LaRue, but he can't get the win yet because Lash LaRue has to hit his sit out powerbomb, one of his signature moves, and it only gets a two count. LaRue ducks a clothesline but gets hit with the last dance, and no shit, I'm not making this up. Disco Inferno retains the belt and gets a standing ovation from this crowd. What did they do in this match, Patrick, that I missed to get a standing ovation? Nothing. In fact, they were really kind of sloppy throughout oh, it, this especially terrible. LaRue, because it seemed like Disco had to like stop him a couple times or like oh, yeah, correct that, him. Yeah, yeah. And... For some reason, though, his performance got a standing ovation from this Las Vegas crowd. Very generous here to start the night. They would not be as generous as the night progressed. So this might be match of the night, ladies and gentlemen. Disco Inferno might be in my match of the night. That is legendary. But, of course, because this is Vince Russo booking, you have to get all your heat back. So LaRue hits his Mishinoku driver from a fireman's carry onto the cruiserweight belt with Disco and gets all his heat back. So it was all for nothing. All of this was for absolutely no gain for either man. Who was the face? Who was the heel? I don't fucking know. And you won't either. And that'll go on throughout the night and throughout the next two years of WCW. The final two years. Yes, the final. Tony Schiavone and Bobby Heenan toss to a pre-tape where Dean Malenko and Chris Benoit arrive and speak to Perry Saturn as the revolution had some uh, conflict, inner conflict between them. The radicals. Oh. No, they were the revolution here. The, yeah, they'd yeah, be the radicals. In a couple months, these guys would be the radicals yeah. in the WWE. Well, most of them. Malenko says, take the revolution and stick it up your ass, which is exactly how I picture Dean Malenko speaking. Uh, it's certainly within his character. Where the hell have you guys been? Shane, I've paged you, we've called you. I know you've been in Japan, but you can't call us back. Tonight's a big night for the revolution, man. You know, Perry, you're right. Me and Chris did have a week to think about it. And as far as we're concerned, you can take the revolution and stick it up your ass. And you could relay that same message to Shane. Uh, To say that to Perry Saturn, who looked ridiculous, by the way, in his street clothes. Perry Saturn style watch is something to behold. Harlem Heat then have an interview with Mike Tanay. Remember, they just lost the titles on Monday to the Filthy Animals. So just remember that as we head to the finish of this match. Booker says he'll get the titles back and you can dig that sucker. Stevie Ray says the first family, who's the third team in this match, is in the wrong place at the wrong time and they will exterminate the filthy animals and all you fruit booties better not forget it. Thank you, Stevie Ray. Harlem Heat, tonight you have a golden opportunity to regain the World Tag Team titles that you lost this past Monday on Nitro. But you have to survive a false count anywhere, anything goes match with both the first family as well as the filthy animals. You know, Mike, 
Survival ain't nothing new to me and my brother. See, we grew up on the street whooping punk asses like the first family, you know, in the filthy animal each and every day of our lives. So tonight, it's gonna be just like old school. It's gonna be just like old times. And see, it won't be long before we get the titles back around our way. Now, can you dig that, man? I can relate to that. You know, both of these teams, filthy animals, Brian Knobs, Hugh Mars, that rat Jimmy Hart, they found their place in the wrong place at the wrong time. This is Harlem Heat's nights. And we're gonna take those filthy animals that stole our belt, and we're gonna put them out there misery, if you know what I'm talking about. That will be the extermination of them. Tonight is Harlem Heat's night. And don't you forget it, I don't want them fat fruit booties to forget it, and them filthy, rotten, egg-sucking animals, they better not forget it. Now, can you dig that? The First Family, which is a faction I totally forgot about. Uh, if you ask me a million times, probably after today, who are the First Family for $1 million, I'd say, I don't know what you're talking about, in, as far as pro wrestling's concerned. Who is the First Family of pro wrestling? I'd be like, uh, the McMahons? I don't know. No, it's Hugh Morris, Brian Knobs, and Jimmy Hart. It's almost like the Dungeon of Doom light for some reason. They come to the ring in Halloween masks, so of course Bobby Heenan it, thinks that they're uglier without the masks on. Knobs, you know, he's in a new faction. Get new gear? No, fuck that, man. I'm just going to wear my Nasty Boys shirt. I only got one shirt, pal, and I ain't changing it. <laughs> Harlem Heat is next in their black and silver getup without flames. So they couldn't do flames because they had a giant inflatable pumpkin. This Halloween Havoc set was awesome. Uh, a pumpkin that shot fucking fog out of it. Yeah, smoke out the nose. Dry and, ice. Yeah. They had the, they had their standard graveyard. Halloween Havoc 2000 would be the Turnertron. So you can see how much money they lost in one year. By the way, Slim Jim's still paying for this thing in 1999, so still making some money off Slim Jim here. Conan and Kidman, who were stripped of the titles, the filthy animals, come out with the belts. How did that happen? So they're not the champions, even though they have the belts. Kidman debuts his Kidman cam to also remind you it's 1999, which is a, a Sony handy cam. Immediately, plunder brawling as the first family brought out the plunder. When you see Brian Knobs, plunder is soon to follow. Everyone bails out of the ring. Knobs gets thrown in the front row. Hugh Morris decks Booker with a trash can lid for a two count. Knobs accidentally decks Morris and then walks into a kick from Booker. Kidman grabs a rope to break up a pin attempt from Morris, which makes zero sense here as this is a false count anywhere match. And you just had a rope break from Billy Kidman. Yes. Jimmy Hart is then chased by Booker T, but gets stopped by a trash can shot from Knobs as they battle up the Halloween Havoc stage. They throw Knobs through a foam casket set piece, the cheapest foam casket you could buy. You could break this by poking it, I think. I mean, it was... I've seen a lot of shitty set pieces. This... Well, there's one later on in this match that might be worse. Stevie Ray decks him with a piece of foam. And yes, he sells it. Knob sells a foam shot. Morris then press slams Kidman onto a chair, which looked like it sucked. So sorry, Billy Kidman. Not as much as it would suck for his partner in a little while. Harlem Heat and Knobs go into the back to brawl, which is a good idea. 
Except that there's no screen for the crowd to see what's going on in the back on. Because this is before the Turner Tron. They're in the MGM. There's not the big thing. There's there's no sports team that plays there. So they don't know what the fuck is going on backstage. This is just for us at home. Because Vince Russo only cares about the TV viewer. He doesn't care about the audience. It's all for TV. Back in the ring... And they didn't do split screen like they did in the day, which is one thing I can give them credit for. Craig Leathers didn't punch up the split screen like it for World War III, or else this thing would be even worse to fucking watch. (laughs) Morris DDTs Conan and calls for a table from Jimmy Hart. Jimmy Hart, get the tables! (laughs) I've never seen Jimmy Hart get a table before, so this is a first, too. Morris then does the no laughing matter to Conan, which fucks Conan completely up. Separates his shoulder as Morris just fucking bashed right through this guy. Stevie Ray backstage decks knobs in the back with a paper mache mummy. This looked even cheaper than the foam casket out front. And yes, Brian Knobs sells this paper mache mummy, which weighs less than nothing. And Booker T is then able to pin him. And then they walk towards the ring. Now, no bell is sounded, because this is backstage. And I guess they didn't get into the earpiece of the ref in the ring. Hey, a uh, pinfall has taken place. Or the match is over. Yeah. Meanwhile, the camera misses it, but there was a pin in the ring. Hugh Morris got pinned by Billy Kidman. So, Harlem Heat come out, grab the belts. Harlem Heat grab the belts and celebrate... The crowd boos this because nobody saw what they did. They think you guys are just stealing the belts here. Conan is still in a ton of pain from separating his shoulder from the no laughing matter. Danny Young, the trainer, checks on him. Rey Mysterio and Tori then stare down Harlem Heat as they leave, as apparently it's decided and announced to the crowd eventually that, oh, sorry guys, I know you saw a pinfall in the ring, but one happened before it. So, there you go. Harlem Heat's your new tag team champion. Boy, like I said, that Disco Inferno match deserved a standing ovation compared to this. I don't know if this was designed on purpose to be confusing by Vince Russo, but I think it was. And this does nothing for anybody. No one looks good coming out of this. You have two referees that look incompetent. You have the announcers look incompetent. You have the commentators. Everybody looks stupid here. Mm Mm-hmm. So congratulations. In two matches, you've had your cruiserweight title look like shit. Now you've had your tag titles look like shit. Let's see if we can make it just go for all of them tonight. Just go for all the titles. Make them all look bad. Well, even non-title matches, because I'm trying to figure out how someone in an arm sling is about to wrestle in the next match. Rick and David Flair arrive late to work, like many WCW employees. (laughs) Well, wrestlers, independent contractors. They walk in with a crowbar, not the wrestler. They have a crowbar. (laughs) Meanwhile, DDP and Kimberly come to the ring. This also happened on Raw because Flair kidnapped Kimberly, took her to a hotel, and spanked her. Yes, Vince Russo has arrived, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) So DDP wants a strap match tonight. He's going to spank He's on a spank, Ric Flair. <laughs> you suck, Chance, for the heel DDP. Another brilliant Vince Russo move. Turn DDP heel. <laughs> so, again, who's the heel and who's the face here? You had Flair kidnap Kimberly, or, well, he was set up. I, I don't know. You have Ric Flair sexually assault Kimberly, another man's wife. And now, 
you're getting you suck chance for DDP because he actually set it up to try to ambush Ric Flair in the hotel room. So everyone's a bad guy. <laughs> Everyone is Razor Ramon. Everyone's the bad guy. So DDP wants a strap match and says some stuff that could be interpreted very differently. Um, <laughs> if you uh, want to use your dirty mind, as he, I'll include the clip of how he describes what he wants. What does he say, Alex? I love her. I hate you. And after tonight, you're never going to forget me. Now let me get this straight. Kimberly invites David Flair up to a room. An obvious swerve. Davy Boy has Nature Boy fill his shoes. I can't possibly suck. I'm not from Las Vegas. Like I was saying, over here, Davy Boy has Nature Boy fill his shoes. Either way, a boy is sent to do a man's job. Look at the facts. Nature Boy, you're in a hotel room with this, and all you can think about is spanking it. Well, there's a line not there somewhere. One time, Mm-mm. not two times, two times, two times, but 14 times. You run your hand over this. You like to spank it, don't you, nature boy? Of course you do. Well, DDP's got your spank right here. You want to spank it, nature boy? Let's whack it. Let's jack it all night long. Strap match! Me? And you. You want the truth, nature boy? You can't handle the truth. The truth is, I want you to take this strap if you get the shot, and I want you to whack it all night long. Because you can bet your ass I'm going to be whacking you. And that's a promise from the new king of Bada Bing! Bada Boom! Bada Bing! He says some stuff like, let's smack it, let's whack it, oh, let's jack it, oh, all night long. DDP, <laughs> DDP promises, <laughs> you'll whack me, and I'll whack you too. 
I don't think this was scripted by Russo to be dirty. I think DDP, whose catchphrase is bang, he just doesn't get the double entendres that he just threw out there. So I don't know what kind of match to expect later tonight. I might have to turn this thing off if it gets a little too graphic and not in the bleeding kind of way. In addition to David and Rick showing up to work late, Goldberg shows up late as well. What's new? He wants to find Sid... And he drops his bag to go find him, which I thought was very stupid. Why would you just drop your bag in the back? Someone's going to shit in that. So Goldberg takes a chance. Here. Ask Kurt Henning. Yeah, or Sean Waltman, who shit in a bag once, I think. Mike Tanay interviews Eddie Guerrero and Kidman. They're part of the Filthy Animals. Tanay tells Eddie that the revolution and animals are banned from ringside tonight. We'll see. Eddie stole a Rolex from Flair, so we're... Hey, at least they're mixing up the angles. They're all... That's one thing I can say Vince Russo did accomplish is that wrestlers were involved in other wrestlers' angles. It wasn't just, you exist in a bubble, you exist in a bubble. Oh, I'm in a feud with you, then I forget that these other people exist. He's at least mixing it up. I'll give him that credit. Is that a good thing? Not for Vince Russo, but he's at least doing it. Eddie stole a Rolex from Flair, an angle that would result in them literally burying him in the desert tomorrow night on Nitro, and that's how he's written off TV. They bury him in the desert. Rick Flair. Yes. Bury him <laughs> in the desert. And he is wrote off TV for, what, three months or something? Probably like three weeks. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it wasn't that long. He came back very soon and probably made no reference to being buried in the desert. He just He's Undertaker now? He rose from the dead? I'm going to have to catch up and see if he, this was ever explained. I, d- I doubt it was, yeah. Diamonds are forever, and so is Ric Flair, Patrick. So, I mean, he can't, he can't be buried. And it was also Vince Russo obviously playing on the buried thing. And more wrestling inside lingo. All the fans know all this inside lingo. Yeah. So, of course, they'll get the joke. Perry Saturn is out to face Eddie. Eddie comes out looking a little fucked up. And this is because he had that terrible wreck on New Year's Eve going into 1999. Came back a little bit earlier. And this is when he was going through his addiction phase. So the reason I say he looks a little glassy-eyed it might be because of those issues. He leaves the Rolex with Bobby Heenan, which I did like. I like that he's like... I can trust you, Bobby Heenan. You're a trustworthy guy. You'll protect this Rolex. Eddie dropkicks Saturn's leg and throws him out of the ring, drops an elbow on him, whips Saturn to the rail, but Saturn presses Eddie into the air and drops Eddie onto the steps, chin first and wrist first. Ouch. Saturn then power bombs and bridges into a pin on Eddie for a near fall. Saturn hits a crossbody off the second rope for another near fall. Saturn works over Eddie's injured arm. He just goes on on offense here. Saturn just works over Eddie's arm for ages. Eddie finally goes on offense with a seated drop kick for a two count, but then he finds himself in a released T-bone suplex from Saturn, which Saturn is like the Steiners when they suplex you. He just doesn't give a shit. He just he'll fling you across the world. Saturn works over Eddie's leg now before Eddie stops him with a side suplex. Eddie tries an arm triangle, but Saturn just deadlifts him and slams him like an MMA fighter. Perry Saturn hits the lion salt to Eddie, a little Chris Jericho tribute here, and he gets a two and a half count. Eddie does the brain buster and climbs up for the frog splash, but misses. 
Eddie counters a springboard crossbody with a drop kick. Saturn then crotches Eddie on the top turnbuckle. Saturn does a fallaway back body drop from the buckle. This only gets a two count. Saturn then looks for a top rope razor's edge to Eddie, but Eddie escapes and superplexes Saturn. Ric Flair then comes to the ring and stomps Eddie and hits him with the crowbar. A crowbar that bends, so you know it was really, really steel. Kidman then gets beaten down trying to save Eddie. Tori then saves her future ex-husband here by covering Billy Kidman. Flair thinks about beating Tori with the crowbar, but he doesn't. Instead, he decides to woo Tori Wilson and sexually assaults her by kissing her. But then she smiles. That's two that's two women he sexually assaulted in one week. But she liked it, so it's okay. So this one's fine. Because she <laughs> smiled at the end of it. That's how you can get away with it, I guess. Oh, okay. So there you go. Um, wonderful. Uh, again, you went from a standing ovation Disco Inferno match to a really fucked up finish in the second match to a no finish in your third match. So we're we're doing great here, guys. And back to my question, how is it that in a backstage video we see Perry Saturn in an arm sling, but yet this man goes out and wrestles? Do you do you notice that as well or is that just something I happen to catch? Oh no, that was that was Conan that came back out in the sling. Oh, okay, okay. I think I don't I don't remember. Okay. This would be another thing in WCW they did. They they had a whole pay-per-view where everyone had their arm broken by Lex Luger. <laughs> Super Brawl 2000, we watched it. Uh, yeah. That was the live, we did a, a live review of that. Well, a live-to-tape review as we watched it. So they, they love broken arms in WCW. So, yeah, everybody can wrestle with broken arms. Hey, if you if you want to wrestle, they'll take you. Because they need anybody that'll show up to work. It's it's hard to get. It's hard enough to get these guys to work. And if they're there, oh, you got a broken arm? I don't care. Get out there. We need you. Because no one's showing up to work. Goldberg attacks Sid in the back and busted him open. There are no cameras around. Just take our word for it. Because now Sid is bleeding his ass off through his head, which makes no sense how I just said that. But that's what that's what it is. He's gonna go into the match. With a blade job already, <laughs> which is okay, whatever, sure. I wish we were making this shit up. Right, this no contact clause has now. De- they've thrown out the no contact clause so much now that he's actually criminally assaulted this man. Basically, not just oh, I punched you in the ring in a stare down. No, he split this guy open. I mean, Sid brought his lawyers on Monday. I guess he's going to have a hell of a lawsuit on his hands uh, tomorrow night on Nitro. Up next, unannounced, folks. Unannounced. Unannounced. This isn't on our sheet because wrestling is scripted, as Tony Schiavone will tell us. I mean, he doesn't say wrestling is scripted, but this isn't on my sheet. What's going on here? This is this is I, crazy. I do hate that. Yeah, this is crazy. Buff Bagwell comes out next. He talks about the powers that be and mentions the riders. He mentions the riders, though. He'll expose that wrestling's work and how Jeff Jarrett swung a guitar at his head on Monday, and he wants Jarrett tonight. So Jeff Jarrett runs out, and Bagwell dumps him out of the ring and brawls with him. Then Lex Luger runs out, and Lex Luger had one job here tonight. 
And that was to take the guitar of Jeff Jarrett and slam it into the head of Buff Bagwell. Well, Bagwell holds Jarrett, so it looks like Luger's going to hit Jarrett with the guitar. Jarrett escapes, and Bagwell is going to get hit. But Lex Luger, being the most uncoordinated man on the face of the earth, who had never swung a guitar in his, <laughs> in his entire wrestling career, plows Bagwell with the neck of the guitar and probably concussed him and does not break the guitar. And so Lex Luger has to look like a major dork here and then goes and slams it on the post in frustration to break it because he missed a guitar shot. He held the wrong side of the fucking guitar. And then walks to the back carrying his broken guitar because he's a fucking idiot. That was his job tonight. Yeah. He got paid to do that. Mike Tanay wants to talk to Sid, who's concussed and getting stitched up, and Sid just screams, Let it bleed! Which, that sounds more like Vince. I can't can't do a psycho Sid (laughs) whisper. Let it bleed. Let it bleed. Eddie is on some steps outside the arena calling Ray and saying, get back here. We got animal business to take care of. As we, we were already told Ray's injured. Why would Ray, why would Ray have been at the get arena? Get back here. Get back here. You weren't there. <laughs> Clearly taped before they knew Ray was injured. So, um, yeah. Air it anyway. Fuck it. Fuck taping it twice. Whatever. 1999, WCW. 1999, wrestling's still pretty hot at this time. I'm not going to say it was as hot as it was in 98. Still pretty hot. Who do you want on your pay-per-view? Brad Armstrong. Yes, Brad Armstrong got a pay-per-view payday in 1999, so good for him. Okay, well, Brad Armstrong, in my opinion, is the best Armstrong wrestler of all time. In ring-wise. Doesn't mean he belongs on pay-per-view after a lifetime of jobbing, no. Really? No. Okay. Maybe back in 1992 or 3, when he was still a young up-and-comer, when they hadn't just totally... Shit on him? Yeah. Yeah. But no, this is what you paid $30 or whatever to see. You saw basically a job guy on Worldwide come out here next, because he's representing the United States. He's also our best representative. When you think of the real American... Duggan? Right, no, no, we couldn't use him. He was on Thunder the the Thursday before, but no, can't use him. No. Fuck that guy. (laughs) Uh, No, he's going to face the former Das Wunderkind, Alex Veit, who is now... Berlin. Berlin, yes. With the wall. Well, the wall didn't have his name at this time, and so David Penzer just said, Berlin with his bodyguard. (laughs) So... They hadn't thought of the clever name of The Wall for Berlin and The Wall to reference the Cold War, which had ended 10 years earlier. So, 10 years. 10 years. 89, the Berlin Wall had fallen. So, wrestling, like I say, they are always way behind pop culture and way behind. But it, it's also another reminder of 1999 because they spell Berlin with a Y, just like China with a Y. B-R-L-Y-N, yes, Berlin. You could probably classify him as a Nazi. I mean, that's what they're really going for here. I know they're they're, they're referencing the Cold War with the wall, but 
the bald, weird, oh, the greatest wrestling haircut Berlin sported here. I mean, we it's talked like, about it's like a it's like a boomerang. Yes, if you think of a but it's spiked. That's it. Yeah, and that's th- it. This crap is not like big. It's tiny. This is and then his little soul patch. It's little, some Tyson Kid kind of hair hairstyle. Oh, it's worse than that. <laughs> I mean, Tyson Kidd's hair was obnoxious to me, but this is ten times worse. This yes. is worse than a few weeks ago when we were clowning on Hawk for keeping half of his mohawk <laughs> shaved. This is worse than that. This is a, as if Hawk connected the two in the middle and made a U, made a horseshoe. This is shit. There's one German flag in the crowd they were able to find. I'm sure this was a plant. This is a feud from Thunder, so that's what we're doing here. USA chance for Brad Armstrong because it doesn't matter. I mean, this this proves to you that the USA chant is over no matter who the fuck you throw in there. Against any foreign wrestler, USA will always get over. As long as you're in the U.S., of course. Belly to back from Berlin and some European uppercuts to Brad, followed by a pop-up powerbomb, basically, from Berlin for a near fall. A spin wheel kick, and then Berlin poses over Armstrong. Berlin busted his elbow open doing something, idiot. So here's some more blood on the show, only this was not intentional. So many pinfall attempts I lost count because they would just cover each other from clotheslines and elbows. They just didn't, just whatever. I, this was very bad. Berlin tries a neck breaker, but Armstrong holds on to the ropes. And no shit, Patrick. Pins Berlin off of Berlin, missing his own move. Yes. Me merely holding the ropes. What a finisher. What a hell of a finisher. You know, you talk about wrestling matches peaking too early. Well, they they certainly didn't peak too early here. They saved the best for last. Yeah. Yeah. A guy misses his... This is like uh, Yokozuna slipping off the ropes at WrestleMania 10, but only way shittier than that. (laughs) Um, Wow. Wow. Way to build up your new heel, Berlin. Losing to Brad Armstrong. Not only was Brad Armstrong on a pay-per-view in 1999, he gets a win over the guy that you want to promote as a legitimate heel, as a threat to America. But this is Vince Russo. So, of course, Berlin needs to get all his heat back. So the wall runs in. Berlin and the wall beat down Armstrong, and Berlin locks in. Uh, the crossface, not a crippler crossface, but a crossface for a few seconds. Then Berlin, this is his signature pose here, puts on sunglasses. <laughs> oh, yeah. Super cool. Dang, I don't a... know if the movie The Matrix was out yet, but he kind of gives me a Matrix vibe. Did that come out? I thought it came out like 2001. No, it was like 99. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Yeah, so... Just like The Crow came out, and then we get Sting. It was the second Crow movie that came out around the same time they did the Sting Crow character. It was, uh, I want to say it was Crow City of Angels that came out around the same time they did Sting. But the original Crow movie came out in like 92 or something. Oh, I didn't realize it was that old. Yeah, but I think think it was the sequel that... Either came out right before or right after Sting started doing The Crow, and I was always like, "Did Jason Scott Lee? He no, it was uh, oh yeah, it was Bruce Lee's son. He died in the he died in the first one or was it the second one? The first one. Yeah. Okay, so who did the second one? I'm curious. 
I'm just some other actor. They oh, just. Okay. The Crow is a. I don't. I, I, I've I, never seen the movie. Yeah, I've never watched it, but I think The Crow is sort of like James Bond, how it's like. It, the powers can be transferred on. It's like a soul is like given the powers. When I was something. much, much younger, side note here, I know you don't give a shit or they don't give a shit, but just, I don't know, it made me think of it. Much, much younger here at the National Guard Armory. And uh, do you remember down there off of 23rd Street? Yeah, I know what you're talking okay. about. Okay. They did, uh, they had a martial arts expert or like exhibition there. And Jason Scott Lee was there. And I got a picture and got to meet him and all that. So, Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, but I was young. Like, I vaguely remember it. It's crazy the way that he Don't died. Don't even remember the whole thing. Vaguely, vaguely remember it. Really fucked up story about how he died. Dude. Yeah. But he took on, I remember it vividly because he took on like five guys. Seriously. And but then, was, it, and then but was it like, was it worked like pro wrestling where no. it's to just showcase how good he is? No, and like, no, it wasn't because they, they came, when I say came at him, they came at him and he. You mean they fought him all at once? Yes. And then uh, I got an. But op- it was guys, okay, the guys that are attacked. I'm just, I'm sorry, I'm con- I, I hate to go off the rails here no. for a second. You're okay, not. so the five guys that are coming at him. They're not martial arts experts. They're just guys like us that are attacking him. And so he can just... He they're just, like karate, but they're not... They know karate. They're not or, on his level. Right. And then Shannon Lee was there, and I actually got her to sign a board that she broke in Chinese. I got her autograph in Chinese, which was really cool. I need to see one of these exhibitions. To I just... I'm very curious about this now. I, I highly recommend you look it up. It's... I don't know if it'll pull up here or not. But. Mike Tanay is with Ric Flair, who still has a crowbar, a different one, I think, than the one he used earlier. Ric Flair cuts a Ric Flair promo, which is pretty good here. A highlight. A f- there are very few highlights of this show. This one was good, though. Come find me in Phoenix. Woo! Filthy animals, know this. You don't get to be what I've been in this business or get to be where I've been or who I am by not being ready for anybody at any time. Bring it on, boys. Woo! Like I said, diamonds are forever. So is the nature boy. And as far as Paige goes, Paige, tonight, it's a strap match. Two men strapped to each other. Two of the very best this sport has to offer. Strapped to each other. Nowhere to go, nowhere to hide. But let me tell you something, diamonds. Let me tell you something, diamond. Dallas Paige, last Monday night, when I got through spanking your wife, she looked at Nature Boy in the eyes. She went, Nature Boy, woo, Nature Boy, woo, Nature Boy. I've never been spanked like that. You were right. I should have gotten that spanking, woo, from my daddy a long time ago. Paige, that hurts. Kimberly went, woo, Nature Boy, woo, Space Boy. She said that. I heard her, Paige. And tonight, brother, Tori tasted just a little bit, just a little bit. Of what the Nature Boy is all about, Mike. Tori did mention, woo! She went, woo, Nature Boy. So Paige, when I'm done with him tonight, when I'm done with him tonight, Mike, I'm going to give Kimberly, woo, two times, woo, two times, woo, two times. The Nature Boy, one more time, woo! And he impersonates Kimberly from the spanking session, which was hilarious. 
And then we go to our next match. And name redacted Chris Benoit is out to defend his TV title. Yes, in 1999, the title that would later be in the garbage in 2000 was on Chris Benoit, probably their most talented in-ring wrestler, was carrying around the lowly TV title. And, and of course, he's going to take on one of my least favorite uh, wrestlers of 1999, the DFG, as he's referred to here. You don't like me, bite me version of Rick Steiner. Not that I don't like Rick Steiner. I like Rick Steiner. It's just this version gives me undertaker biker dad vibes like this is just (laughs) your dad is trying to be cool and hip and it just doesn't work because it's just not him i can i can listen i can call him right now if you want to tell him this because i would love to put this on speakerphone (laughs) he would agree he was trying he was trying to be scott he was he was trying to be scott i i gave him shit in the past over that yes he was basically their hair and goatees were reverse of each other yes so scott's all white okay rick's all black their goatees i've got the white in the middle you got the black in the middle um (laughs) yeah just reeks of dad trying to be cool rick steiner here and uh the dog-faced gremlin here uh, had been, uh, let's just say he's been working out a little bit because he was fucking jacked. Probably um, getting some tips from Scott about how to, uh, you know, uh, buff bulk, up, bulk up a little bit. Yeah, taking his Ico Pro. The bell rings, Steiner, he just bails out because he knows that, oh, I don't know, Chris Benoit is this great technical wrestler and you're Rick Steiner. Um, Who isn't a great amateur wrestler? He's good at suplexes. Uh, I don't think, but I think on the mat, at this point in his career, if you took Rick Steiner from 1989 against Chris Benoit from 1999, yeah, okay. That'd be a hell of a match, yeah, actually. but yeah. this is not. This is, like I said, biker dad. I don't know if we talked about it or not. Who's the better Steiner? And if you say Scott, you have to explain why. I think Rick. And that's not a knock on Scott. I think Rick Steiner was the better Steiner. I think even with this gimmick of Rick Steiner, I think he just he he had the he had the backing it up that was believable enough to I guess still in the uh, singlet and everything, amateur style. He I'm gonna have to go with I'm gonna have to go with Big Papa Pump and not necessarily the Big Papa Pump version of Scott Steiner, but Scott Steiner, uh, the the Steiner screwdriver that he did. Oh I God, mean, that that's scary to watch. First of all, yeah the 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 Frankensteiner. I mean, he brought for a man his size. That was impressive, and even just the suplexes he did. They were both very reckless in the way that they tossed guys around and stuff. But man, I mean, see the, the Rick Steiner. He, he that clothesline he used to throw was brutal. Yeah, Scott was just so much faster, though, and unfortunately he lacked in the microphone department that Rick was was better at until this time. Now, this era, Scott starts to supersede Rick here as far as that goes, but then regresses back. I mean, we all know Scott Steiner's mic skills are my favorite in the world. That is why I bring it up, because we... On this podcast, hold the Steiners at such a high prestige, but we shit on them 
on certain times for the things that they do, but we all still we still love them greatly. And yeah, I, and I've been on the receiving end of a Rick Steiner clothesline, and a Steiner line from Rick Steiner hurts like hell. Scott Steiner, Big Papa Pump was a great heel when they finally put him in the main event position. I mean, he was mm-hmm. one of the few guys that got a win over Goldberg. Yeah. And he was one of the few guys that, I mean, because he wasn't in character. I mean, he would jaw with those fans. I mean, he would jaw with the fans. Like, he was... He was legit pissed. Like, it was... I don't know if it was steroids that just sent him to that kind of paranormal pissed off or if it was actual great acting doing the i'm having all this sex stuff in a way that's not fun like rick flair you know like that i'm just just a guy just a bro just a bro like that's why they they love i mean that's why the steiners came out to their fucking college music all those years because they're fucking bros you know they they but scott steiner is like bro who can can back it up like yeah. bro who's scary like uh, the asshole bro <laughs> and rick steiner's the cool bro yeah you can yeah he he does some stupid stuff every once in a while but he's lovable but like scott is like no he's just a fucking douchebag bro <laughs> um okay well i so when rick finally gets back in the ring he takes benoit's back and then he delivers some forearms, followed by a clothesline. Steiner lifts Benoit into the air, catches him, and suplexes him, which was pretty impressive. Benoit dishes out some chops. He superplexes Rick. And then Rick Steiner nearly beats him to his feet off the superplex. Rick Steiner was not interested in selling for Mr. Benoit. Steiner bails out of the ring to avoid a crippler crossface. Benoit hits a safe suicide dive where he lands on his feet. He was being very gentle with Rick Steiner. They brawl on the outside. Benoit gets chucked into the steps. Steiner, though, he is blown up. He is gassed, and he eats a drop kick that he barely stumbles into. Steiner is very hesitant to engage. He shoves Slick Johnson and kicks Benoit in the dick. Steiner then puts on a terrible-looking Boston Crab to Chris Benoit, where he doesn't even turn the guy over. He just lifts the leg. Oh, it's look like shit. Steiner tries a powerbomb, but Benoit just gets dropped over his back, so he is just... He is shot. He's ready to go home uh, here. Benoit gets a release German suplex from Steiner, which Benoit had to help him out with greatly. He does it again, and Rick smiles because he knows, like, oh, shit, I am so fucking gassed. He looks for a vertical suplex, but Benoit DDTs him. Benoit fires up with some chops, hits the triple Germans to Steiner, uh, the final one with a bridge for a two-count. Steiner takes the ref, Slick Johnson, chucks him into Benoit, who gets an elbow to the face accidentally, Slick Johnson does. Then Steiner grabs a chair, but Benoit ducks the chair, T-Bone suplexes Rick Steiner, Benoit tosses the chair to Rick Steiner, and what do you do here, like a Van Daminator? No. Chris Benoit palm strikes Rick Steiner through the chair, hits the diving headbutt, but Steiner tosses a chair at him midair, which... Knowing Chris Benoit and how everything ended just made me think of CTE. Uh, then Dean Malenko runs in, grabs the chair. You think he's going to help Chris Benoit? No, you don't. This is Vince Russo. You've seen the show so far. Nope. He he decks Benoit with the chair, rolls Slick Johnson back into the ring, and Steiner wins the TV title from Chris Benoit. Wonderful. Yeah. Great decisions here. 
Perry Saturn then comes out and hugs with Dean Malenko. It was all a setup. And they walk off. To be continued. Dun, dun, dun. Mike Tanay is with Bret Hart, and Hart has a bad ankle. Hart says he can feel the fans behind him, so he will excellently execute the total package. So, Lex Luger did have something else to do. Like I said, I watched that Nitro. I never knew Bret was going to face Lex Luger based on the opening of Nitro, but it's happening. That match is next. The Total Package. They don't call him Lex Luger anymore. Only call him Total Package. Comes out with Miss Elizabeth, and he has his tearaway suit. And this dude is jacked. And coming from someone that just watched WBF, this dude is fucking massive. In 1999, by the way. Not 1989. This is why he is skin and bones today. Yes. This is, I mean, just being real. This is why he's living with his mom in Buffalo. Uh, well, Does he really? Yeah, I saw an interview with him from either last year or the year before. Well, he's living with his mom in Buffalo for blowing through all his money. Um, but, yeah, poor. I'm not going to say poor guy. I mean... I feel bad for him, but I have. I don't have any sympathy for him, though. Yeah, I, I don't either. Luger ran in and interfered on Bret Hart and Sting's match on Nitro and hit Hart with a bat to the leg, so he cost Bret Hart the title on Nitro. Bret comes out in his Calgary Hitman jersey and goes right after Luger. He takes Luger out of the ring, rams him into the steps, the announcer's table, and the guardrail. Brett headbutts Luger in the midsection when they return to the ring, so he's wrestling like a heel. Brett just batters Luger in the corner. Brett then throws Luger out of the ring again. Brett catches Liz trying to throw a punch and grabs her hand. Brett's not going to hit a lady. Luger can't capitalize, though, and Brett continues to batter Luger. Lex thumbs Brett in the eye to slow him down when they get to the ring. Luger drops some elbows, but Brett goes right back to work. Russian leg sweep for a two count. Brett hits second rope elbow for another two count. Sharpshooter attempt, but Luger thumbs him in the eye again. I don't know if Lex could cross his legs for the sharpshooter, by the way. Luger and Brett do their Royal Rumble 94 spot where they both go over the top rope together, which was definitely a Vince Russo insistence because he loves... That's what we're going to do, bro. That shit. Yo, bro, you know that stuff you did back in 94? Y'all really like that shit, bro. Do that in the middle of the match. Thanks, guys. Uh, Brett sells his leg now, and Luger works it over the middle rope. The most shocking thing of the night. If they were out for shock value... I think this might be near the top of the list for things that I saw in this pay-per-view. Lex Luger applies a single crab to Bret Hart's bad leg. Submission expert Bret Hart, who has faced people like Kurt Hennig in the past, or um, Steve Austin, or you know, good technical wrestlers, Shawn Michaels, Ric Flair. So Bret Hart, who has beaten all these guys... Excellence of execution. He's in a single crab. The guy that never gives up taps out to Lex Luger's single crab. Lex Luger made Bret Hart tap out. This is a tragedy. This is a crime against all of pro wrestling. This is a big 
fuck you to anybody who's ever watched any pro wrestling up until this point in 1999. If you were a Bret Hart fan, if you were a wrestling fan, if you were a WCW fan, you were probably screaming at the TV at this point. Uh, if you weren't already earlier and wondering, what the fuck did I just order? What the fuck is going on here? This shit sucks. So there you go. Uh, Lex Luger, submission expert. Not even with the torture rack. You can justify it maybe with the torture rack. But even then, I'm going to be... It's going to be hard for me to buy that Bret Hart taps out to Lex Luger. Okay? Under any circumstance. But a single crap, that's what they went with. I think you pretty much said it all. I was pissed. Straight up. Be honest. I was pissed. The crowd boos this, and I can't believe it either. Lex walks to the back with Liz as he celebrates. Today's backstage with Goldberg. Goldberg points to Sid's blood on his hands and chest or whatever. He's got Sid's blood on him, on his shirt, maybe. I forget. And he says he's going to decapitate Sid later tonight. Now, this would be a Vince Russo first, a decapitation match. Uh, they really are up in the ante here. Someone's going to lose their head later tonight. Up next is the infamous Medusa WCW cologne moment. So they actually had a WCW cologne. They did. That was sold. And so I guess Turner said, hey, can you guys promote this on the show? And Vince Russo didn't want to do it. So he decided to bury, bury his own product. I mean, he was already burying the wrestling product, but bury (laughs) something they're trying to sell. So he sends Medusa out there, and she goes up to Bobby Heenan, who just says, Oh, that just smells terrible. Get that shit out of here. (laughs) A cologne that you're trying to sell. Medusa, by the way, in a very skimpy... This this lady that was a... a, a, Karate champion. A groundbreaking pro wrestler in in American wrestling, uh, who's actually a good wrestler, is now a diva, basically. She's... And a thong. Uh, she's still rocking America shit. She's still staying true to that part of her character. It's a, it's a string bikini, highly on the string part, I guess is the best way to put it. Yes. Cause. With her massive breast implants. Here. Yes. She looks completely different than she does today or she did before, like in WWF or when she threw the title in the garbage. We talk about all those people signing contracts and getting benched. This was what happened to Medusa in WCW. It was like, come in here, throw the title in the garbage, and then basically we'll bench you for all these years. And then Russo comes in and says, Vince Russo just sexualizes every woman he can find. So, of course, Medusa, get in here and show your tits. Okay. So Bobby just buries it. I'll include the segment here because it's very funny. And a little treat for you here. as She has in her right hand, I understand. A bottle of the brand new WCW Nitro Cologne. You ever smell that cologne? Yes, I have. Boy, that stinks. And it's horrible. And she's going to come out here and why would she be? This? That stuff is brutal. It smells like a rest stop on the highway. Did you know that? Yeah, it smells kind of like liquid kitty litter. And she, she's going to come out here and, and model the cologne for us. Wow, I, I, she could be careful. There'll be some cats following her around here. Here she comes. Hours to be. You know, that cologne smells like the uh, smells like a men's room at the Newark airport. 
smells horrible. That stinks. So, gentlemen, what do you think about our new nitro cologne? Nice, shapely bottle. Beautiful blue color matches my big, beautiful blue eyes. Yes, they are beautiful. Yes. What do you think this is a pun? Do you think I enjoy coming out here in my bikini and modeling this? But you do what you're told. You have to. Well, you can just tell those two higher echelons from New York, you know, the superpowers. The powers, yeah. That I think it's just, I think it's just absolutely bullshit. Stop! Stop! Brain, you're right. You stink, man. Oh, I got it in my eyes. Oh, somebody, Wendy, somebody give, somebody give him a towel. You okay? No, I'm not okay. You heard what she said? She thought it is? That's what it smells like. A bowl wouldn't even have to. Smells like manure. Oh, I love my job. And then Medusa dumps the cologne on Bobby Heenan. A promo video plays for the Sting Hogan title match. Hogan's music hits, and they play it for like five minutes. I'm not joking. I'm not exaggerating. This crowd got to listen to Hulk Hogan's uh, Real American Knockoff, American Made, here for five minutes. So they just give up on it, and they roll Sting's music, and he comes out with the title belt. Hogan's music plays again. Hogan walks out in street clothes. He gets in Sting's face. No red and yellow, only black. Just, yeah, well, just street clothes. He rode up in his Harley, I guess. He gets in Sting's face, but not to confront him, not to point the finger, not to do the Hogan stuff, and just casually has a chat with Sting. Steve Borden, his old friend from uh, Thunder in Paradise, his old co-star. Then Hulk Hogan decides to lay down. Yeah, you know that thing they did in January, the finger poke of doom, the thing that that basically set the company on fire? Yeah, they're going to do the same thing here. The bell never rung, by the way, so technically this wasn't even a match. The match never started. Sting pins Hogan. Beats him. One, two, three. The music starts playing, and then immediately we cut away. We roll a Goldberg promo video. So... I thought this was a mistake. No, this was Vince Russo. Car crash TV. Smash TV. Just cut to the next thing. No time to react. No time to think about what just happened. No explanation. What happened with this was Hogan, from what I have heard, Hogan was pissed by the way in which they wanted him to be. And they came in and, you're doing this, you're doing that, or this, or that, you know, or... We don't want the NWO stuff, and we don't want the red and yellow stuff. You got to figure out where you where you you know where you are and where you sit in in the raw. And they just started belittling the shit out of him. This was more or less. This was not planned. This was more or less a fuck you. No, this was planned, Patrick. I'm pretty sure this was, in fact, the plan. Uh, I think Hogan wanted some time off. I I do think you're right in that he was frustrated. But he gets paid either way. Yeah. He didn't like the way the company was going. Um, 
since his friend, he was probably upset that Nash was no longer the booker, and he was going to throw a little temper tantrum and take his ball and go home, as Vince McMahon would say about Steve Austin that time. And so Hogan usually didn't work. I mean, Hogan could decide when he wanted to work. His contract was set up. He could do whatever he wanted. He had creative control. The only thing that I'm bringing that up is because if you go forward to Bash at the Beach the following year with him and Jeff Jarrett and that controversy where Jarrett laid down for him, it was a payback more or less for Bish, you know, from, uh, not Bischoff, but from Russo for. Here's you know this is but what, that was a work too. See, I don't. I yes, don't. it was. It was. It was a worked shoot until Russo started spouting. You old bald headed bastard. That's what made Hogan sue the company. That part of it. The the all that other shit was planned. Just like this was planned. Even though I don't think this was ever explained. And legally, they couldn't explain Bash at the Beach because they were getting sued by Hogan. Yeah. So. Wonderful ideas. But why even why even approach anything from the finger poke of doom? Why would you ever say, you know that thing that went horribly wrong for us that time? Let's do that again. I, I just don't get it. I don't. This is terrible for the fans at home and at the arena. Now you're just fucking everybody over. Yeah, because the fans were in the arena were pissed. Oh, yeah. They booed the shit out they of They showed... Tons, tons of Hogan signs. Yeah, the crowd, when they started rolling the Goldberg promo video, they didn't cut the mics to the crowd, so you heard the crowd booing the shit out of this place. And then when they came out of it, they're still fucking booing. Because they got no explanation. Yeah. If you're if you're going to do that, and you're not going to tell the TV crowd, or you're not going to at least tell one of them, and, you know, at least tell the live crowd while we're seeing the promo video the storyline or you ex- just offer them something yeah you know what sting does later why not do that right now you know i came here to fight what the fuck was that i'm here for a fight <laughs> well okay how about now you know how about do that now no no yeah. no no patrick no no <laughs> that would make sense and that's not how this pay-per-view works so Sid is out with his head wound, and he is the U.S. champion. He's cleared to compete as well, so you can compete with broken arm. You can compete with anything. Uh, there is uh, zero fucks given about the status of your injuries when you come to the ring. You can go ahead. Now, they're fine with his head wound coming out, Patrick, but later on in this match, no, that's it's too much. Goldberg gets his big entrance, but he gets jumped by Hall and Nash. What a swerve. What a... F- God. I just... I'm getting, I'm getting angry now recapping this because, like, you're trying to do something new, right? You're trying to take... You want to take the company in a whole new direction. Oh, here's the same old shit, guys. Hall and Nash. The Outsiders. The, guess how much explanation this got? Zero. J.J. Dillon. Oh, by the way, Goldberg's cops who escort him out just stood there and watched as Hall and Nash beat the shit out of Goldberg. Well, that's because the cops weren't there to protect Goldberg. The cops were there to protect everybody else from him. 
But still, you're still an officer of the law. You're still seeing an assault. Do your job. All those cops should have got fired. So, eventually, uh, the WCW goons, I guess Dillinger or somebody, or does do Hall and Nash just leave? I don't remember. They just left. Hall and Nash just leave. The bell rings, and Sid attacks Goldberg on the walkway, because the match can start in the walkway, of course. Goldberg eventually fights back, rams Sid's head into the steps. They get in the ring. Sid clubs at Goldberg for a moment, delivers a big boot, the Steiner recliner. Then Goldberg powers up, dumps Sid out of the electric chair position, which was pretty impressive. Sid's a massive dude. Sid is now bleeding a lot more after Goldberg delivered a ton of strikes directly to his cut forehead. Sid's face is coated in blood as Goldberg just pummels this poor man. The ref asks Sid where he's at. And he drops to his knees, and the ref says, no, nope, no, nope, that's it. That's it. Gotta call it. And he calls for the bell. What the fuck? Well, I don't... <laughs> they cut to Goldberg, and Goldberg is honestly pissed because he's like, I came to fight. I want to fight. Let us fight. Verbatim, you can read his lips. I, he was losing a lot of blood, though, dude. I mean, that was... Really, I understand that, but going back to my original argument, you allowed him to come out. You knew he had a head wound. I'm just saying, there's... I wonder if someone, standard and practices, or somebody jumped in and was like, hey, we gotta, we gotta get that off. Yeah, well, there... Yes, there is a story that Vince Russo tells about this pay-per-view, because Ric Flair, of course, would do color later, because he's Ric Flair. He does color in every match. Doesn't matter what kind of match it is. And apparently, the policy was that you can have one blading person per show. And they did two tonight. And that pissed standards and practices off. And that's what Vince Russo blames for them being on his ass for the rest of his time in WCW. Is that he did a big no-no here. He had two people had to do color. And he didn't know that. So, But you can make fun of Bell's palsy, but you can't have two people bleed. So... Actually, three, including Berlin. So you actually had three people here. So, You know what this match also needed? The DFG, baby. The dog-faced gremlin comes out to fire up Sid, to fight Goldberg some more. So you think that the match is going to continue. You think the match is going to restart because the, the referee is seemingly... I forget who it was in this match, if it was like Mickey J or somebody. It seems like he's about to restart the match. Which is, in wrestling logic, is what would happen here. Because Rick Steiner came out, got Sid fired up. Time to restart the match. Let's do it. He's ready to go. But then, David Penzer just announces Goldberg the winner. But I'm not sure if he's the U.S. champion or not. I guess it doesn't really matter. I think he is. Yeah, he gets the title. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's the U.S. Spoiler, he wins two belts. Maybe. In one night. Sid takes forever to leave, and Tease is coming back to the ring, but he doesn't. What a pussy. They replay the spanking segment from Nitro, excluding the spanking for some reason. It was okay for Nitro, but too hot for pay-per-view. <laughs> but then Sting's music plays as he comes back out. Folks, this isn't on our sheet. We don't know what the hell's going on here. This is totally unexpected. Sting says he came to Vegas for a fight. If there's anybody back in the dressing room that can hear him, he wants a fight, so show up later. 
I did not come to Las Vegas for a night off. I came to Las Vegas for a fight. So what I'm saying is if there's anybody, and I mean anybody, back in the dressing room area right now that can hear what the stinger is saying, I'm saying I came to Vegas for a fight. So later tonight, I'm gonna come right back here in the middle of the ring waiting for somebody, anybody, to show up here for a fight. Because it's showtime, folks. It's showtime, folks. Which I was thinking to myself, like, all right, Buff Bagwell and Sting, here we go. <laughs> Tony Schiavone says to us, it will be a world title bout. Now, Sting never said the title would be on the line. He just said he was looking for a fight. And Shivani didn't know he was coming back out. Or did he? Right. <laughs> so Tony knows it's a world title match, but he didn't know he was coming out. Amazing, this man's uh, perception here. DDP is out with Kimberly to take on Flair. Flair is strapped up first. Paige just takes forever to finally tie up. He finally hooks the strap on. Ooh. Uh... Page takes forever, but finally grabs his end of the strap, but stays out of the ring. Finally, Flair catches up to him, chops DDP, gives him some right hands and some lashes with the strap. They roll out of the ring. DDP gets pulled into the post. They brawl up into the aisle, into the crowd. They brawl through the crowd forever. They make their way back towards the ring. Flair chokes Page with the strap as they walk back. Flair makes out with Kimberly again, so... Girl number two sexually assaulted by Flair tonight. She doesn't smile about it. Uh, He gets a big right hand from Diamond Dallas Page, and Flair uses this opportunity to blade. After we just saw a match stop due to blood loss, now we're going to have a blade job. They brawl towards the commentator's desk, and Page smacks Flair a few times into the table, and Bobby and Tony bail, as Bobby had a legit no-contact clause in his contract, so it had to get out of there. They get back Really? Wait a minute. Seriously? Because of his bad neck? Yeah. He actually had... Really? Yeah. If you would get in big fucking trouble if you... Bumped him or... Yeah, he was to not be touched. And one time... Pillman was unaware of this. So one one night, Brian Pillman was just being Brian Pillman and ripped the headset off of Bobby Heenan. And Bobby Heenan said live on the air, like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, yeah. because he had, like, neck surgery. That's why he went to WCW. He had, he, yeah, he had serious neck problems later in his career. I knew that. but Yeah, so he... And that's why he went to WCW was to get health insurance because the commentators are employees, but the wrestlers are contractors. So he got insurance and he had a no contact policy. So anytime anyone got near him, he he would head for the hills. They get back in the ring and Paige drops an elbow for a two count. Paige calls for a diamond cutter but gets low blowed. Flair ties Paige up in the corner with the strap and low blows him. Lariat's Paige with the strap. Flair knee drops Page's leg. Figure four. 
Once again, there's a rope break in a match where rope breaks shouldn't count as Paige breaks the figure four with one. Paige low blows Flair and wraps a strap around Flair to deliver a diamond cutter with the strap. Covers him. One, two, and then Patrick Young. Shame on you motherfucking referees, especially Charles Robinson. He fucking knows better. He pulled his third count. He pulled the three. Yes. And he fucked up. And Paige. Legit. Paige looks... Snaps. Paige mean mugs the shit out of Charles Robinson. Who then takes... Well, he rings the bell. The bell rings, so it counts. Match is over. And then forces him to take a diamond cutter. And I'm glad that Charles Robinson had some experience bumping because... He, He, yes. He just took his ass down and then he choked flair with the strap because he was legitimately pissed off here so i don't think this was a russo swerve i think this was just charles robinson fucking up it plays into the storyline though because he is a little nature he right. does have history but uh yeah mm. great david you know who's gonna save rick david who who yeah yeah. Runs in with a crowbar, not the wrestler, but an actual crowbar. <laughs> Kimberly steals it. It's bad that we have to say that. Just by the way. Crowbar was recently in a Ring of Honor Battle Royal. That battle, really? Yeah, that Battle Royal where they sometimes bring back bring random people. It, yeah. yeah, Crowbar was really. In it. Yeah, awesome for him. Kimberly steals it, hands it to DDP, who then beats him down with it, and then hits him in the balls. Of course. Diamond cutter to David, an elbow to the balls, and DDP leaves. EMTs roll out Flair to the ambulance, but the filthy animals kidnap Flair and hijack the ambulance, and they're heading to the desert. Now, to be continued. Let, let, let me specify something. They steal an ambulance. So, I just want to specify something. The same here. thing they did on uh, yes. a Stone Cold Steve Austin. Yes. But also, we cut back. And it's now time for Sting comes out. Well, technically, that was the end of the show, Patrick. Yeah. yeah. Sting comes out. He does. Who's got the balls to take this challenge? It's showtime. Who's it going to be? Goldberg comes out. Fuck yeah. You have a, there's a way to save this night. Okay. Stick with me on this. Goldberg's still covered in Sid's blood. Sting's pissed off. All right. We need a referee. (laughs) You know where I'm going with this. Yeah, yeah. Who do we send out there as a referee? Anybody. Could have been Slick Johnson. Could have been Mickey J. Yeah, Mickey J. Could have been anybody. No. We send little Nate Charles Robinson back out there. The same referee that just took a diamond cutter. 10 minutes ago and got his ass kicked by Saturn when they took Ric Flair when they kidnapped him. So not only did he get his ass handed to him, they scrape him up off the pavement, he slides head first, takes off running, slides head first into the ring, and he's good to go. Let's start a match. Well... Fuck the referee. Let's put some damn tights on him. He can wrestle. He's a tough dude. Not, not. Uh, <laughs> I'm uh, just. Uh, I mean, 
not only just not selling the effects of the diamond cutter or anything else, or he fucked up the finish of the last match. That alone should disqualify him from being the referee that's sent out. And, I mean, this is WCW in a nutshell. No one knows what the fuck is going on. Because Goldberg answers the challenge. Bobby promotes this as a title match. Says, oh, he could make history tonight. He could leave with both belts just like he did back in the Georgia Dome. Yeah. This is the image that we're all going to expect to see well, here. Well, no. Hang on. He was he was the U.S. champ going in. Right. Into that match. This yeah. is the only time that he won both well, in th- one night. You think, yes. You think. Tony then informs us before the ref shows up. So Goldberg and Sting are just standing around, just waiting. Sting is even looking at the camera like, come on, come on, can we get a ref? (laughs) Sting's ready to go home, by the way. Sting getting cranky here in his uh, later years as this guy wrestled another 13 after it, uh, or 14, 15. Might even wrestle at this year's WrestleMania if they do the fucking Undertaker match finally, since they're clearing everybody left and right in 2020. Hulk Hogan is cleared to wrestle at WrestleMania. While we and the crowd and the pay-per-view audience are waiting for a referee, Tony then informs us, just us, the people at home, that it's in fact not for a title. And then Tony admonishes whoever told him that in his ear, Thanks for telling me. The unmistakable music of Goldberg, the new United States heavyweight champion. Just a few short minutes ago, this man had the toughest fight. I'll guarantee his life is ambition. Whether he had a football field or in the ring, captured the United States championship, and now the opportunity to hold both belts at the same time, the world championship and the United States championship. Can he do it? Can that man do it? Only time will tell. Fans, it is a bonus like you've never seen here in Halloween Havoc. Sting and Goldberg, world heavyweight title. It's not, it's for no title. Thanks for telling <laughs> like, like you just made me, this company, everybody look like a fucking fool. But it'll only get worse from here, Tony. So don't get too upset now. It all turns out good for Tony in the end. AEW came calling. Uh, Listen, uh, I love Tony. 21 years later. I love Tony. But whoever the fuck told him to get his ears pierced needs to be shot. Someone throw that one out it's there, too. It's a cool look. It's just like the DFG, man. It's dad trying to be cool. Uh, Charles Robinson then comes back in to ref this match. This would be an important part of this match because this is what how they get out of it on Nitro. Goldberg gets knocked out of the ring. Wow, Sting. Uh, man, taking it to Goldberg. This is unbelievable. But then Sting gets slammed into the commentary table, then the guardrail. They get back in the ring. Sting hits a splash to a downed Goldberg. Sting then spears Goldberg. Amazing. But Goldberg just stands right back up. And roundhouses Sting in the corner. Goldberg misses a spear, hits the post, stinger splash one time, two times, three times, and Goldberg crumbles. Maybe Sting is going to pull off the impossible here and beat the relatively unbeaten Goldberg. Sting whips Goldberg to the ropes. Goldberg leapfrogs Sting, which 
would be a clue to me to immediately move out of the way because Goldberg has regained his comp- composure. If I was Sting, I would move out of the way after the leapfrog, but Sting stays in there. He says, you know what? I'm still going to stand here. I'm going to yeah. see what happens next. Takes the spear. Takes the jackhammer. One, two, three. And the crowd is under the impression that we have a brand new champion because Charles Robinson hands Bill Goldberg the WCW world title. David Penzer then announces him as the new world champion. Tony then, being confused as hell, says, well, I guess he's the world champion. Tony says, and this puts it lightly, Tony Schiavone very rarely understates anything. But he understates it tonight. It's been a breathtaking night. <laughs> You're right about that, but not for the reasons you would think. What a pay-per-view! Ladies and gentlemen, the winner is new heavyweight champion of the world! Talk about winning in Vegas. This man has beaten all the odds. It's been a breathtaking night, and that's as good as I can describe it. Goldberg wins the world heavyweight title. After winning the U.S. heavyweight title. All in one night. All in one night. And after having the toughest fight of his life with Sid Vicious. It's a history-making night. Sting said, I want to fight. He got one. One we will never, ever forget in either world. It's like that old saying, you might get what you ask for. That's still not an unanswered question. Sting then covers Vince Russo and WCW's ass here, gets in the ring, argues with Robinson, and Scorpion death drops him and leaves. This would save WCW's ass in that they didn't want this to be a title match. But it turned out to be a title match, which gave them the out on Nitro where the title was vacated. This match was not recognized as ever happening. Because they didn't do their paperwork beforehand, Patrick. And and this title, this one-day title run of Goldberg's, does not exist. Goldberg is a one-time WCW champion. Let it be known throughout history. As this company did everything wrong tonight, pretty much. And I must say, 
Disco Inferno and Lash LaRue, you guys earned your standing ovation. Because it was the only match that actually had just a normal match, the normal finish. I know that LaRue got his heat back at the end. Ladies and gentlemen, Disco Inferno, Lash LaRue, match of the night. Hands down. This is so true. It, it made sense. There was a story to it, I guess. In that there was no storyline heading into it, but two guys had a wrestling match. One guy won. One guy didn't. The title, it was clear who the title <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I don't know. Ooh. It was the only match that was a match that was just a match. This, yeah. And so I have to applaud it for that. I guess you could almost say the Berlin Brad Armstrong match comes in at a close second as a match that just went on as a match should. Sure, it had a fucked up ending. It was had no offense. It it was a thunder feud, uh, but it still followed the basic rules of wrestling, I guess. But tonight, Disco Inferno, he gets a standing ovation from me, and uh, there you Glenn go, Gilberti. Congratulations, sir. Well, I think I've said enough during this review. Uh, I don't know where to begin as far as my thoughts on it. My thoughts on it? It's terrible. It's terrible. It's... (laughs) I don't know if it's the worst WCW pay-per-view because I think the original NWO sold out is pretty bad. I also think that one that we watched, Super Brawl 2000, is pretty bad. Uh... New Blood Rising is pretty bad. Oh, there's a lot of bad ones to choose from. Here's here's my argument why this might be the worst. Because this was an opportunity for two new writers, two new leaders, to course correct the ship. If that's what they... Look, I wouldn't have given them the keys with a week's notice. But that's what happened. And they had a chance here to right some wrongs, do some things the right way, and maybe, just maybe, keep this thing on the track. (laughs) Keep the train from derailing. Because tonight, you still had the stars here. You still had Hogan here. You still had Goldberg. Uh, You didn't have Scott Steiner for some reason. He might have been injured here. And you didn't have Rey Mysterio, who was injured. But pretty much the rest of your core fleet, you had the Radicals still here. You had everybody. You even had access to guys like Hoovy, you know. You had guys. You had access to guys like Juventud Guerrera that you didn't use tonight. Outside of Jericho and Big Show, who had already left, you pretty much had it. You had Bret Hart. I mean... You had Bret Hart tap. Not only lose, but tap. Imagine if they had just booked this with... With, I don't know, maybe, okay, let one match have a fuck finish. And then the rest of them, just straight matches. I think it would be remembered as one of the best cards ever presented. (laughs) If the matches that took place... Actually took place. Took place and had finishes and the right people won and titles were exchanged and things... And you didn't have a guy lay down in the middle or even if... uh, Maybe that match happens, Hogan loses it, but Sting still wants Goldberg at the end. Wow. I mean, you could have had an all-time great here. You had all the 
you had all the puzzle pieces to have a great pay-per-view. Yeah. Which makes... That's why I think this is the worst WCW pay-per-view I've ever seen. I agree with you. I, I just... there. There's no excuse for what they did tonight. I agree with, with any you. of it. One million percent, sir. I agree with you. So there you go. That was my gift to you. Do you have any other thoughts? We I told you, I knew I would drone on too long. We've drone on for nearly three hours now. <laughs> Sorry to keep you going this long. No, you're good. Um, do you have any final thoughts on Halloween Havoc 1999? Uh, no. (laughs) I cannot think of any, except for the fact that this was horrifically terrible. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Just to, I'm just curious to see. I wonder what the October 99 pay-per-view was for WWF. So one week earlier, this is what the WWF presented on No Mercy. The Rock defeated the British Bulldog... The New Brood defeated Edge and Christian. Val Venus defeated Mankind. Wow. X-Pac defeated Bradshaw, Farouk, and Kane. And Triple H defeated Stone Cold Steve Austin and retained his belt. Okay. So maybe they didn't have such a great show either. Um, And, of course, yeah, the good housekeeping match. So I think we've reviewed that pay-per-view. We have. So, yeah, maybe... uh, That's the pay-per-view that this... The most beloved video game was made. Okay, so maybe the WWF didn't have a great month that month either. But this wasn't one of the WWF's big four. So, just... Oh, they had a better fucking pay-per-view than what we just got. Oh, anything <laughs> is a better pay-per-view. On our rating scale, Hornswoggle to Giant Gonzalez. Uh, I think this one's pretty easy. Uh, I'm not even giving it a Hornswoggle. This wow. is This is this bad. Yeah, just, this, this is just... I'm just going to give this um, a zero. Yeah. This is just... This is... Vacant. Yeah. This is a vacancy. Yes. This was horrifically horrible. And we spent three hours of our lives not only watching it, but now reviewing it. We've spent six hours on this. Which is more thought than they put it's, into it. Oh, that's for damn sure. It's so bad, it kind of deserved the six hours of bullshit and criticism it needed. Let's put it that way. All right, Patrick. Sorry to so, put you through that. It's your pick this week. Where, where are we going? So I, uh, feeling a little, you know, nostalgic, feeling a little history-based with the whole uh, cage match Wednesday night on Dynamite being there on the historic grounds of the Omni, even though it's not standing anymore. It's still hollow wrestling ground. Um just a little nostalgic. You put a meme on the uh, on our Twitter page that was uh, Luthez and Gorgeous George. Gorgeous George. No, Buddy Rogers. Nature Boy Buddy Rogers. I say that to say this. That meme got me thinking. I have watched this match quite a few times. I love this match for what it is. It is a one match review. We are going to cover. It is in the hidden gym section. It is right at about 45 minutes long. Legendary battle royal ensues at the Meadowlands. You ask why one match? Because this is 
probably the last televised match that you will ever, or tape-wise match that you will ever get of the likes of former NWA champion Luthez, Bobo Brazil, Killer Kowalski, and the list goes on and on. And so we're going to review this one match and have a conversation, perhaps, because I need an upbeat on how important wrestling is and how bad WCW just shit on it. And so I need to go back to its roots. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to watch this one match, and we're just going to have a conversation about our opinions, facts of where wrestling came from in the early 1800s, of how it transformed into wrestling, to the very first title win, uh, to someone being crowned a champion, to uh, just history based of the golden age of wrestling from the beginning. Just a sit-down study class of something that I think is, is missed by so many others in today's wrestling fan society. And it's if you don't know it, you lose it. And, uh, and uh, this next upcoming generation of fans, I think, will need to know this. And so I hope they will uh, enjoy it. Everyone tune in. It's going to be... Without a doubt, I know one of my favorites that we will ever do. So just brush up on your uh, wrestling history there, uh, sir. So what was the name of this one again? It is Legendary Battle Royal Ensues at the Meadowlands. And where can you find it in the network? The Hidden Gems. Hidden Gems. Okay. Well, that's where we'll go for next week. Uh, really retro stuff here. Uh, probably the oldest thing we've looked at uh, so far. This is from the the mid-80s. Oh, it's from the 80s. It's still. the mid-80s, but it is, without a doubt, I do believe the last taping-wise that you will ever see in ring, if not the very last match of guys like The Crusher, Bobo Brazil, Killer Kowalski, and Luthez, and the list goes on and on. There's about 20 men in this match. When this next episode comes out, you will be so wrapped up and love every second of it. I think we've droned on long enough. We're both very tired from uh, this experience. and uh, I was tired watching it, sir. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right, well, that'll do it for this week. You can head over to RetroWrestlingPodcast.com. You can check out all our episodes there at SoundCloud, and you can get the links there at RetroWrestlingPodcast.com. You can also go to Powerslam.tv, use the promo code RetroWrestling, get a month for free. But that'll do it for this week. I'm Intern Alex. I am the one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. Saying, as always, my clothesline's a clothesline. And bingo, bango. Are you looking for the newest and hottest in the world of pro wrestling? Then check out the amazing action on Powerslam.tv, the biggest indie pro wrestling channel in the world. Get over 6,000 hours of the best events from over 150 of your favorite promotions from 20 different countries around the globe. Brands like Progress Wrestling, Evolve Wrestling, Combat Zone, Defy, PCW Ultra, PWX, Over the Top, Shine, and hundreds of others with fresh content added every day for only five. $5.99 per month. 
Get your free trial today at powerslam.tv.